I'm not even going to tell you why I was initially late. Oh, I was, I was, I was five minutes late. It was fine. I didn't I notice. Was I was looking up the bonus facts and I got into the history of ketchup. So. You know, that's <laughs> also on brand. The history yeah. of ketchup. It's like such a, such a ridiculous thing. Okay. Got my notes. Pencast 50, right? That's the, that's, that's the us. That is happening now. Yeah, it is. All right. <clears throat> ready? I'm ready. You've been ready. I, I've been I ready. ready. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Here we go. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 50. That's 5-0 of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. I am Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to be doing a very special 50th episode edition by doing nothing different and just having a regular episode because we didn't plan anything special. But it is 50, so that's cool. I don't know, it's a round number. Uh, But we are going to be talking about the various Pilot custom pen models, how common QC issues are with pens like Visconti. We have an update on Banu and Noodlers. We have the what, how, when, and why of heat sitting, heat setting feeds, excuse me, heat sitting, that sounds uncomfortable. Uh, Why you don't see a lot of stacked nibs, like on some of the Sailor specialty nibs. We explore sealing ink cartridges, in our tip of the week, and we spotlight the Monteverde Ritma. And we also have a bunch of company updates and some new stuff and, you know, our nice little mix of things. So yeah, let's get all into it, starting out with some feedback. All right, we are going to kick things off this week with some feedback from Invisible Woman on YouTube. And she says, I am one of those who feels the compulsion compulsion to slow down and write more elegantly with a fountain pen. We were talking last week about whether or not just using a fountain pen makes you want to write in cursive more. Mm. She says, I think may, even if only subconsciously, it might remind us of a time when life was slower and correspondence seemed more thoughtful and deliberate. I think that may be the overall appeal of going analog in an age where everything is about immediacy, speed, and dare I say, is often thoughtless. And that goes along with uh, what we spoke with uh, in regards to uh, Matthew's visit to the Bencast as well. More analog hobbies, intentionality, things like that. So Invisible Woman is agreement with us. And then Kat wanted to comment on our Prefi versus Profonte discussion, Brian. Last week, we spent some time covering the Profonte. And admittedly, Brian, I was a little not, not, not as pro Profonte as perhaps I could have been. And there was some feedback that has given me some new perspective, some new insight. Oh, yeah? Uh, Kat mentions the Profonte comes in a giftable box and looks a little fancier. So my thing was, mm, it mm-hmm. was it's a few bucks cheaper, and why? To me, the aesthetics w- weren't enough um, to justify the exact same writing experience. However, Kat brings up a great point. The Preppy has no packaging. True. Like, at all. It comes in a little plastic sleeve, if that. No, I don't even think it does. I don't. Th- I think it's totally loose. It's totally, it's totally loose. loose. Yeah. It's totally no packaging. Because the barcode's right on the pen. Yeah. Right. So a big portion of that cost has to be the. It comes in an actual box. 
It's certainly a portion know. of it, yeah. And that, let's say, like, so it's a few bucks more. I'm sure half of that is probably the packaging. Could be, so yeah, very likely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm way, I should have brought that up. One of us should have brought, you know, you should have brought that up. I'm going to put that on you. You should have. I should have, because I was more pro you, you should, this is uh, your on the pen. Yes. I'll, I'll be honest, though, like, I, I didn't really think about the packaging. No, neither of us I got, did. I got, like, I got all the colors of the pens when we first started carrying them. Mm-hmm. And like most pens, I immediately put the packaging aside yeah. and either discarded it or like stored it away somewhere, probably discarded it. But then yeah. I haven't thought about the packaging since But then, I think so. that's a great point because gifting somebody a preppy, you're going to need to come up with something or just do it super casually like I hear you go, dude. You know, but uh, with the Profonte, you can actually wrap that. So points, Cat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great point. Um, and Brian, there were a fair amount of people agreeing with you that the emerald profonte does indeed have a hint of blue in it. I was I was just like, no, you, y'all have to get you your gave eyes me checked. So much I crap know, about that. I know, I know. I'm putting it on here because I'm I'm about the truth, man. I'm about reality. I'm putting it on here because the reality was there were people very much in agreement with you. Not one person said, I totally agree with Drew. It's There's not a hint of blue in there at all. Um, well, I'm sure people agree. So, they just didn't feel the need to type it. But Perhaps. Yeah. Thank you for the benefit of the doubt. But no, we're going to give you credit here. So, yeah. Oh, also, I'm going to check my telephone here, my cellular device, because, Brian, what I did after our... Um, discussion last week on whether or not folks wrote in cursive or print. You know, you mm-hmm. know what I did using the old Goulet Pens account on Instagram? What'd you do? I pulled it up. Ooh, okay. Yeah, man, we got a poll going. So we're going to ch- take a look at it. All right, here, I've got the results in me hand. Okay. What do you, what, what, you want to take a guess as to what they were? Just the options were, you know... Okay. Print versus cursive. Sorry, what's the poll? Who you primarily uses print versus cursive? Uh, which style do you use when using fountain? Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm. I'm going to say because last week, last week you you said you. I said it's you, probably probably primarily print. Right. I'm going to say sixty forty on the side of print. You're almost exactly correct, but the opposite. Oh. <laughs> It was sixty. Okay, it was okay. sixty-two thirty-eight in favor of cursive. Okay, that's cool. I think probably the the medium with which the survey was done skewed that a little bit. I would imagine people following us on Instagram probably lean a little more towards. I don't know. Would that have anything to do with cursive? Maybe that wouldn't have anything to do with what it. I what I think would definitely skew it a little bit more is if I had a third option that said a combination of both. Because oh. last episode we got a lot of folks commenting yeah. that they do a little bit of both. And and I saw at okay. least two people say that they do what I do and basically cursive except for the capital letters. You just kind of like screw those. I'm doing whatever with that. Like some of them are easy. Some of them are just it's not It's just the Q it. for me. It's just the Q. The Q yeah. is the only one I can't ha- I can't deal I, with. I don't mess with a lot of them. I'm really? Like, oh, no. I do a lot of them. I, I never do. Um, some are fun. I never, I always do print T's for some reason. But I but I do cursive F's, uh, capital F's, which is a, pretty much a T with a cross in the middle of it. That's more work than a T. I know. I know. I just like, I, like okay. I don't know. It's random, right, but uh, I thought that was interesting. So 60-40 in favor of cursive. Okay, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I dig that. I'm glad to be wrong in that, you know? I'm curious if, like, 
you know, because I think that those who are following us are probably like more enthusiasts, like more into the hobby. I feel like the, you know, not to say you have to write cursive to be into it, but I feel like more people would be inclined to be in cursive if they're like super into fountain pens versus a more casual user who maybe doesn't follow fountain pen companies. Um, but I have no idea. That's a complete guess. Yeah, we don't really we don't really talk to those people because pretty much everybody we talk to follows us. Yeah, if you're yeah if you're not into fountain pens, you're like dead to us basically. <laughs> so we don't really want to hear what you have to say about <laughs> about writing. I guess you know we can we can say that because you're not going to listen to this. If I'm you're just not kidding. Into fountain pens. That's true. No, I'm just kidding. So totally kidding. Obviously, um, but that's really interesting. I I'm a little surprised that it's predominantly cursive. That's really interesting to me. There we have hmm. it. So that's it there for me. Go. Very cool. Um, I got some feedback too. This is from Jacob. Uh, with regards to Brian's welding practice, may I suggest to fabricate a giant two-tone nib from the scrap metals? So a rectangular steel color metal and have, oh, sorry, regular steel color metal, like a silvery metal, and have to weld with a yellow or bronze colored steel. Is that a thing, Jacob asks? Something like that after that displayed at the background of the Pencast Studio. That is interesting. You know, we have a giant nib when you walk into our office that uh, it's a giant stainless steel nib that's like, what, seven feet tall or eight feet tall or something? It's pretty massive. Right at, at the entrance in our building. Um, you can see it in our tour video. Um, I don't have the capability to make something like that, but I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Right now, I'm trying not to get too ambitious with like actually making things. It's more just practice, but that's kind of cool. Most of like the scrap metal I have is like angle iron and flat bar stock and stuff like that. It's not like sheet metal, so you can't really make things so easily. I don't know. Very cool. Um, and then we got uh, one from Jane. It says, Brian, I pulled my Montegrappa Shiny Lines, which I mentioned last episode, broad nib pen out this week. And out of all my pens, I think this is one of my favorite. It's a gorgeous pen. Uh, that nib with the dove on it is beautiful. And the broad grind is as smooth as any of my Pelican broad nibs. Yeah, so that's got the number eight size gold 18 karat broad nib. It's fantastic. That's a nice um, one. If I could only keep only one pen, my monograph of shiny lines would be the one. Wow, thanks for having it made. Well, that is really cool. I forget how many we made. I want to say it was in like the 60 to 80 pen range or something like that. It was super special to be able to do that. It was like basically like rare materials that Montegrappa sort of found in around their factory. And we had the opportunity to sort of put that together. So we'll never be able to make it again. Yeah, I think they um, had another one like this, but without the dove nib and the grip section was not celluloid. Yeah, and I think the something about the celluloid might have been different or maybe they maybe it wasn't the last of that celluloid. Maybe they had a little bit left. But yeah, I mean, it's it's super special. Um, very cool, Jane. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then Ken says, hey, Brian, I owned a Pontiac Aztec in steel blue. Ooh, had it for 13 years. Only issue I had with the car was GM's design of the head gasket. Had to replace it about every 50,000 miles. Yeah, okay. Pontiac Aztec fans coming out of the woodworks, <laughs> I guess. Rachel and I had an issue where the ignition locked up and would not start the car. And um, we had our kids with us at work. We were about to drive up to visit Rachel's parents for Thanksgiving. And uh, everyone in the office had left and our car wouldn't start. We literally couldn't get the key to turn the ignition. And Pontiac had gone out of business as a company. So we had to find 
any locksmith that we could that could hack his way into that car uh, on Thanksgiving or the night before Thanksgiving. And we actually ended up sleeping at the office because we literally could not, with our kids, we could not leave the office. We couldn't get a locksmith there. So we had to spend the night, get a locksmith there in the morning. And then the cops got was called able to on get you. It. Yeah, we did have the cops. Well, the cop was like going through the like park or whatever. Like the, it's because it was like a business park. They were going through the park and they saw this. There was this like family sleeping at the office. And we, I guess we look kind of sketchy. So they checked on us and we were like, no, we have a locksmith on the way. And they were like, okay. <laughs> Why do you own a Pontiac Aztec? Was that, was that, was that the other Aztec or was that my Aztec that you saw? Uh, that was the other one. That was the mine, one that. Because mine had died. the same, mine had the same issue. That was ultimately what. Um, cause I was just, de- I was just dealing with it because you had to like try it a dozen times to get it to turn off yeah. and you couldn't turn it all the way off. And you know, I was patient with it. I was like, all right, you know, one, two, three, no back forward. No, one, two, no. And oh, I was to do that every time. And sometimes it would take me, you know, 10 minutes to turn the car off. And I went out of town one weekend and my wife had the Aztec and she was not having that. She that after that weekend she's like nope nope done no never again yeah. this needs to die how are you dealing with this I'm like I don't know it's fine you just gotta figure it out but luckily it kind of uh, the radiator kind of said bye bye you know the next uh, the next week or two so it was meant to be it was time it lived it lived yeah. a good life it did it did um, I still have cool. I still have the cooler that went in the center console though I mean that alone is worth something on eBay I'm sure. Hmm. Ever since Breaking Bad, all the accessories sell for a lot. Um, okay, and then uh, one other little bit of feedback. This is this is going back a ways here, but if you remember, I don't recall what episode, but we were talking about light fastness of inks, and uh, we actually had Jamie Grossman of um, uh, Hudson Valley, the Hudson Valley Sketches, reach out to us, who did some light fastness tests like nine years ago. Or something, and we post it on our blog. She's got it on hers. Um, reach out to us after that pencast and says, "Hey, I'm still kicking, still doing this stuff. You want me to do an updated version?" And we were like, "Sweet, that'd be amazing." This was like six months ago, so we sent her a bunch of inks that we had since picked up, like all the Diatrimentus document inks and various other ones um, that had either since come out or we had never thought to test. Um, sent them to her, and she reached back out to me recently and was like, "Hey, tests are done." I got some info for you. So I'm still looking, working on like compiling it into like a blog post or something like that. Um, but uh, in case you're interested, just wanted to tease that out a little bit that we have some updated stuff. And I can just give you a very, very brief, because it's, it's kind of a lot. She tested a lot of different inks. Um, but basically she took the inks, swabbed them all. Um, she's got a whole process for this. She's done this with a number of different inks over the years um, and uh, put them up in like a south facing window in her house. I th- said it was something like, 1800 total hours of direct and indirect light exposure. So pretty decent amount of UV exposure. And, uh, you know, the main thing that it pulled out of it was the Diatrimentus document inks held up surprisingly well, surprisingly well. So they really, really stood the test. Um, and then I, I, I'm not going to list every single ink that we sent out because I want to compile it into a little more referenceable place. Um, but just want to give a heads up in case you were interested, um, we're gonna we're gonna have some info on that soon, so that's pretty cool. So big thanks to Jamie for getting those out. We'll um, as soon as we have something to post and share, we'll share that out. But um, you know, can at least let you know that that's on the way. So pretty neat. 
All right, that's what we got for feedback this week. Let's get into some new stuff. All right, so new stuff that we have. We have a new limited edition Platinum 3776 pen called Shape of Heart. And this is kind of neat because if you ever notice Platinum on their nibs, they have a breather hole that is the shape of a heart. And as far, I mean, I think there are some vintage pens that I've seen that have done that. Maybe Schaefer did that a while ago. I've, I've definitely seen other pens with I've that. I've seen it yeah. on vintage pens. I don't know if they came up with it or whatever, but Platinum is the only pen that I know today that still does a heart in their breather hole. Um, so they do that for, not for every pen, obviously, but for all their 3776s, they do. And um, it seems like maybe what they did is they took the heart that they punch out for that breather hole and they put it into the cap of the pen along with some like jewels and stuff. Now it's really tiny. So you're not going to like see it from across the room and be like, Whoa, look at that heart on that pen. You have to really kind of get up on it and look for it to, to see it there. But and still, it's also, it's it, it also might be totally hidden and obscured. Possibly. Yeah. With, with, within all of those little crystals. Yeah, it's going to be in there somewhere, but uh, that's yeah, what it's, it's, it's all like about. in a little adventure. You you know, it's a shake and yeah. find. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's pretty cool. So that we have that now. If you're a fan of the thirty-seven seventy-six, you know, very solid pen, great performing pen. Uh, so you can check that out. We have those available now, and then we have a new pen from Sailor. This is a bespoke pen called the Wabi Sabi. Oh my gosh, these pens are unreal. Looking. They really are unreal so these these are the type of urushi pens where you're like oh i can tell there's a lot of layers happening on this thing because it's literally like textured and you feel it so if you're not into feeling texture on your pens maybe sit this one out but uh you can you know when i hold a pen like this in my hand i'm like dang somebody sat there and like hand painted this and did this over and over and over again i don't know how many layers it is but you know, usually when Urushi pens are talked about, they say like between like five and 40 layers. This is probably more on like the 40 layer spectrum because it's just, it's super, super thick. And you can literally see like topography on the pen. You know what I mean? It's like uh, peaks and valleys kind of a thing going on. So they yeah, look it's It's kind of like when incredible. you see, when you see a painting that you know 100% is hand done because you can see all of the brush oh, yeah. strokes. And it just, even if you know another painting is hand done, seeing the brush strokes makes it, like you can really wrap your head around it and when you see an urushi pen it looks beautiful and you can be told that it takes a lot of effort and time but when you see the brush strokes it's like oh i've i've made those brush strokes before i just have an instant connection like i have a a, you know in in even a tiny tiny bit you have a connection to the process because you can see the result of the process and urushi pens and other things that might not show that process are still super impressive, but for the layman, you can't really connect to that process at all. But we've yeah. all we've all used a paintbrush at some point, even if it was just watercolor or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it almost looks like an like you said, kind of like an oil painting or something. Yeah, you see, yeah. Like all that texture to it. Um, and honestly, Urushi is oil, so technically, it is pens, an oil painting. These pens are oil paintings. Yeah, that's a good point. Didn't, I never thought didn't about that. Really, think about it like that either. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you can check those out. There's two different colors. There's a green and a red, but of course there's variations of the color and texture and stuff like that going on 
it's they're just really cool they just they they look and feel like pieces of art um and they are based on the 1911 king of pens model so it's the big the big one um gorgeous nibs medium and broad they're 2500 hundred dollar pens so they are very special um and aspirational probably for most of us but um, gorgeous pens we have them not a ton of them but we do have some and it's the kind of thing like when they're gone they're gone we're not going to see a lot of them but um they're just beautiful pens to go and admire um, got some great photography that our folks took so um it's worth checking out and that's what i got for you this week drew what do for you got? sure i've got a very very long anticipated set of products brian and those are the new pilot Yoroshizuku inks and we've been new waiting. Eroshizuku? New It's been I like know. six, seven years since anything's come out. At least. It is not something that happens very often, but it is happening now. They are available. You can get them, and you can delight in them. And also, three colors are going away, so you can lament those as well while you're enjoying <laughs> these. Um, the new colors are being sold at the same price, $22.40, right now anyway, as of June of 2022. And we've got a yellow olive called Hotaru B, a teal called Siu Gyoku, and a kind of a pinky blushy situation called uh, Hanai Ikeda. So they're there for you should you want them. And uh, it's just kind of a big deal. The colors might not be everybody's cup of tea, but the teal, in, personally, I think is a, is a great addition to that line. I think that... Uh, yeah. The yellow, olive, and the pink—you know—they're they're they're solid, they're unique. But um, I think that teal is going to probably be the uh, top of the three, yeah, which probably. is which is kind of an easy—it's <laughs> an easy bet to make. Of course, it will. Yeah. Be. <laughs> Gee, what's going to be more popular, teal or a pink? Right. Listen to me being all like, "Oh, you know what I think." Yellow. All right, yeah. and we've also got a new Elmo from Montegrappa. So the Elmo has previously been released by Montegrappa as a. Um, pen that has a very, very uniform silhouette to it. The cap and the barrel are not interrupted at all in the profile. Uh, this is completely different. This is a completely different model of pen. They're still calling it the Elmo. It will be the new Elmo. When you hear an Elmo pen from here on out, it will most likely be referring to one of these, the Elmo 2. A um, little bit larger, does have a step from the cap to the barrel, has more trim. The old one had no trim, just a uh, kind of suspended cap so um, this one has a different sorry suspended clip this one has a different clip it's got a trim ring on the cap um and uh, a big trim rim in fact like this thing is it's pretty pretty he heavy duty so this one that they're bringing it out in is in the marshmallow resin which we've seen previously on a I believe an esterbrook pen and it did really really well people love this marshmallow acrylic so if you missed out on that which i know a lot of people did because we heard about it uh, this one might be something you want to take a peek at because for whatever reason, it's crazy enough to be super popular and super desirable. So check that out. We obviously have it on our website for you to look at. And then rounding things out is the Monteverde Super Mega Carbon Fiber Pen, Brian. Super and Mega. Super Mega. So we have, we have at one point sold a Monteverde Mega and it was in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. Yes. And it had an, an interior painting uh, on the barrel. So it, would, it had been hand painted on the inside with an astronaut with the American flag landing on the moon. And that was the only time we've ever carried the Mega. The Mega as a pen isn't super popular, but as a canvas for hand painting, yeah, it was kind of perfect. 
So this one is different. It's not a Mega. It's got more or less the same profile as the Mega, but a much, much improved clip. The old Mega clip was like the size of my thumbnail, um, not a super functional clip. Uh, this one's definitely much more in the functional category, but it's pretty much just an explosion of carbon fiber. If you're into carbon fiber, this, as far uh, as we're being told by Monteverde, is the largest carbon fiber fountain pen ever created. So if you are just a big fan of carbon fiber, you're probably going to be a big fan of the super mega carbon fiber Monteverde pen. So it's there for you if you want it at $148. The only one that might rival that, Drew, do you remember the Stipula Da Vinci? That thing oh, was you're like right. A, yeah, that with thing the, was like with a baseball the bat. With the extendable um Yeah, it was nib. a retractable nib. Yeah. yeah. That's the only one that might rival it, but I would have to hold them side by side and see. But mm. that was like, it I definitely not that anymore. That, that one definitely rivaled it, but you know what? That, that one didn't have, it didn't have a full cap. So I think that right. the Super Mega probably wins because while it had a uh, really a hefty grip section, I think that the the Mega is probably going to win just because it's got the cap. Well, I think the, the diameter of the Mega Two is also very large. It's, it's a, a hef- large. It's a hefty boy. Yeah, it's a bulbous pen. It's very long. It's very wide. It's just super mega. I mean, is a pretty good, pretty pretty good way to describe it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, you're you're going to know right away if this is a pen for you. There you we'll go. say that. There you go. Anyway, so you can check all those out. We got them. Check out the coming soon section or the new arrivals that we have on gulaypens.com. You got a lot of that stuff there. All right, now moving on to some factual portions of the pencast, the Q&A. All right, Brian. Let's okay, see. Drew. No, not, not that one. This one. What you got? Okay. What you got going on there? Ooh, we're going to talk about things we don't have. Oh, yes, I love doing right. that. <laughs> I this definitely one know the from... most about things we don't have. Yeah, great. From Tyler Pomegranate on Instagram, Tyler asks, will more Pilot custom models, such as the 742, 743, etc., be sold at Goulet ever? Mm. Ever. Ever. Brian, I I have a custom 742 right here. Do you now? This is what I've been writing with in the pencast last couple pencast-a-thons. This has just been kind of like my note-taking pen. Okay. What is your... What is your impression of the 742? I mean, it's just a slightly bigger custom 74. It's nice, but yeah. this one has this one has a PO nib on it. Oh, that so is kind a of, unique nib. So, so it's kind of like just slightly hooked downward. Okay. Yeah, but it's nice. I've got PO. Robert Robert Oster uh, Thunderstorm in here. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we carry the entire Pilot fine writing line of pens available in the u.s that's true we pretty much say yes to everything they bring in we do well the fermo may be a gray area because we don't carry the fermo i think it might be discontinued but i don't know if it's discontinued yet or what Mm. or if it's and we don't and we don't and they've got some like pen cases we don't carry but as far as pens go we pretty much say yes to carry the full line yeah there's like a couple of colors of certain pens that we don't carry like we don't carry the brown metal falcon which may have been discontinued too i can't remember probably because we didn't carry it you killed it brian no we did carry it but it didn't sell that's why well uh, it would have well if you believed in it if you believed in it 
Oh, we got some old videos. You can see we we definitely talked about it. No, it's like Tinkerbell. You didn't clap hard enough. Now it's dead. Okay, well, some things are better off dead. How do you sleep at night? Like a log. It's <laughs> because you exhaust yourself. You sleep like a log? That's an expression, right? Yeah, sometimes sleep I like say that. If I sleep well, I say I slept like a dead rock. So, logs. <laughs> okay. That works. Anyway. Anyway, uh, yeah. I'm joking, yeah, we, obviously. But no, yeah. So, but we carry, we carry every, every model, basically. So, we... Um, yeah, the the custom line. So there's a lot of different numbers happening in the custom line, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at them in various corners of the internet, you will find models that have numbers in them that are not numbers that you're maybe as familiar with as what we have on our site because they are not on our site. Um, 742 is one, the 743. I think there's a custom 91, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think that might be it. I think most everything else we have, unless I'm missing anything. Oh, I'm sure um, we're missing something. It could be. We're. I mean, honestly, we're just a little less familiar with the things that are completely unavailable to us in the U.S. because it's not like Pilot Japan comes out with a catalog and says, here you go, U.S. retailer. Here's every pen that we make, and you can't have them. They only <laughs> offer us what, what they're willing to ship to the U.S., so... Um, kind of the way that it works, I'll just give a little bit of background. Uh, long story short, to answer your question, will they ever be sold at Goulet? If we ever get our opportunity to, we would carry them in a heartbeat. Um, but not all of them are available to us. That's basically the bottom line, uh, which is why you don't see them at our store or really any other U.S. retailer. So, um, you know, a, a pilot in Japan, you know, they're a pretty big company. They are manufacturing things and they're shipping them globally. Well, you know, they are going to have various constraints, whether it's um, just their capacity to produce something, or maybe it's that, you know, not every model of pen would be popular enough to warrant going through the whole distribution process in every single country or region. Um, you know, some of these pens, honestly, that we don't carry, they're, they're really so similar to what's already here in the U.S. You know, it's, it's, they would it would you know sort of cannibalize some of the sales of the existing things like if there was a 742 you know people would then it's not like you would sell all the same 74s and then also sell 742s some people would probably buy a 742 instead of a 74 so there's logistics behind all that where they probably do some math and make some kind of call they don't always tell us why things are not available um you know especially um, you know, when, when things are made overseas and then, you know, we as a U.S. based retailer don't always necessarily get an explanation as to why something isn't offered. But usually it comes down to there's some kind of production capacity and they just don't have enough to supply everybody in the world. So they prioritize, you know, the markets that make sense for that given product. And, you know, the Japanese market is obviously a priority for all the Japanese companies. Um, and then sometimes it's that, uh, you know, it's just a given country may not have demand for, for a certain thing. Or it may be that, you know, like here in the U S they do the custom 74 cause it's a lot of translucent colors, which, you know, do a little better in the U S than maybe in other parts of the world. Whereas, you know, a plain solid color with only available in gold trim may not be as popular in the U S. So they would prioritize that, you know, maybe in the Japanese local market and not bother distributing it to the U S. Um, or it could just be that, you know, there is potential for it and nobody's really asked or thought or whatever. So, you know, 
this is the kind of thing where we usually try to get a lot of feedback about what products that you know you all see but can't get. We then ask um, you know our distributor. So Pilot they distribute um, everything globally, but they go through um, really a, a couple major distributors. A Pilot USA distributes to North America. There's a Pilot in Europe that distributes to all the European countries. Um, and Pilot Japan they do Japan and Asia and all that. So. Um, you know, basically there's there's a lot of different retailers around the world and it's hard to funnel all that through directly through the manufacturers. So you have distributors that are communicating and doing logistics and stuff kind of in between. So, um, you know, there's a lot of communication that we have directly with uh, Pilot US and uh, Pilot USA, they, they're the ones communicating directly with Japan. So sometimes there's logistics between them, you know, there's costs and import fees and stuff that, you know, they've got to work out. So if there's like a production capacity, they've got to, you know, be able to work that out and get some kind of allocation to the U.S. and you know, Pilot U.S. basically has to buy from Pilot Japan. They have a price that they negotiate and agree on. Pilot U.S. then does it, and they negotiate, you know, with retailers or well, negotiate. They set a price, and retailers pick it up or not. Um, that's basically kind of how most pen companies work. The smaller ones may not have regional distributors. They may just sell things directly, but the bigger companies all pretty much have regional distributors, just because. It gets a little unwieldy when you're dealing with like thousands and thousands and thousands of individual retailers, um, which some of these global companies do. So, um, you know, basically for us, um, we would love to see more of them, but we sort we sort of like pass that feedback up to Pilot USA and then just kind of you know keep on bringing it up over and over and over again. <laughs> and then when there's like an upswell of interest on social media, we'll like send them links and be like, look, a lot of people want this. You know, that's part of what we really serve as a retailer. Um, is the ability to really encourage them as to like what people are asking for, what they're interested in. And we've had things that we've asked for before and they're like, well, you know, like, yeah, Pilot Japan can do that, but it's it's going to be, you know, whatever X price because of whatever manufacturing constraints they have. And it might it might not make sense to us, like why something is priced the way that it is. Like like the custom 912, you know, is is priced higher than what you might think initially, just looking at a custom 74 or something like that. But that was just the price that Pilot US was able to, to negotiate with Japan. So that pens a little bit more of a premium. It's not as popular as a custom 74 as a result. Um, so, you know, if we were to expand something in the like custom 912 size or something like that, you could assume it might be more in that price range than a custom 74. Um, so I don't know what the 742 or 743, whatever it would be, but um, you know, basically the 742, like Drew said, it's, it's a lot like a custom 74, but it's got a larger nib. It's got that. So pilots number five nib, which is on the custom 74. Um, that's a little bit smaller nib. It's more like a number four size nib. It's like what you would have on like a Twisby Eco, like something like that. It's about that size um, in like a Yovo or Bach standard sizing kind of something coming out of Germany. Um, Pilot has their own numbering convention for their nibs, but um, they have a larger nib on the 742. So that's got the number 10 pilot nib which is closer to a number five nib uh, in a Yovo or a box. So like a Twisby 580, um, it's closer to that size. And then um, they have some other, uh, that's gonna be the same size as the custom 912. So that's, if you look at the difference between a custom 912 and a custom 74, that's the difference between those nibs like you would have on a 742 versus a 743. Um, no, sorry, seven, <laughs> a custom 74 versus a 742. See, I'm even getting confused with these numbers. The 743 is going to have a number 15 size nib, which is the size of what's on the custom 823. So it's sort of like an 823, but without the vacuum filler on it. So, you know, and I want to say previously, like 
this is probably just too much speculation. I'm, I might be misremembering, but I want to say we asked them about it before, and it was something like it would have cost around the same as a custom A23, but not been a vac filler. It would have just been a cartridge converter. And we were like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, so, you know, sometimes things happen like that where you're just like, well, if it's going to cost the same, like, I don't know if the value would be there. So it's like, sometimes it's just, there are logistics and we don't fully understand every aspect. Why? Um, that even if we were to offer it, it's like, oh, I don't know if it would, I don't know if it would be popular enough for that price or with that offering or whatever. Um, so we do, we, there's a little bit of mystery behind it sometimes for us, but we always ask and we're always willing to pass that feedback up. So yeah, that's probably a deeper dive than anybody wants to know, but that is a little bit of how it works. <laughs> and it's a little confusing with all these numbers, but, um, you know, keep asking and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep passing it up and see what we can get. That sounds great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next question. This is from Captain Quark. Drew, how common are the QC issues with Visconti pens? Because if you read the internet, these things are going to just like explode in your hand if you look yeah, at them. Yeah, if you read right? the internet, you know, Visconti never has a good nib and every Twisby is going to crack and explode on you. So <laughs> That's right. Um, well, the good news is that both of those things are not as bad as you've probably heard. Um, but I will, I will say that these pens are not perfect, you know, but it, it's... Definitely, there's definitely some gray area there that I think a lot of it has to do with expectations. So I just wanted to take a moment and talk a little bit about Visconti, maybe a little bit about Italian pens and what you should and should not expect from them. So, um, yeah, so a lot of complaints do stem from expectations. These are not cheap pens, and so they do have high expectations attached to them. Um, But Italian pens in general are going to be different. Just like German pens are going to be different. Japanese pens are going to be different. They're all going to have a different style that you can attribute, you know, without generalizing to a locality and uh, to, you know, a further extent a culture. Like it, they do, it does have an impact, you know, denying that is, you know, that's foolish. It, culture and locality does have an impact for sure on the design and the manufacturing concepts. So um, we've seen enough to identify that there are production ideologies taking place, you know, depending on where these pens are being made. So I'll say that I drive a Japanese car. Uh, I have a Honda CRV because I don't really take care of my cars very well. And I know it's going to work for me. It's not the prettiest thing in the world, but you know, it does, it gets the job done. But a car is a utility as far as I'm concerned. When you are a car hobbyist, utility isn't as much your primary goal. You might have a utility car, but you might also have a fun car and that fun car is going to be, you know, you're going to pay a little bit closer attention to it. You might be willing to work on it a little bit more. You're going to be a little bit more patient with it. It's going to be more of a custom passion project than it is a, you know, daily driver, literally. And that's fine. And those passion cars can be from anywhere across the world. And generally, they're, uh, the owner gets a little bit more in depth with them, if you know what I mean. So uh, fountain pens are different. You know, those are all a passion. Every fountain pen is not a, you know, you could use a, a fountain pen as a daily driver for sure, but you don't need it. Like you need a car. You don't need a fountain pen. Sorry. I, I know I work for a fountain pen retailer, True. but you don't, you, need, True. you don't need a fountain pen. <laughs> don't let that get out, man. Don't let that get out. But you don't, you don't have to have one. Um, so fountain pens are a passion and Italian fountain pens, when they manufacture these pens, that's what they're thinking. This is a passion. 
This is a love. This is a romance, you know, and that that all is injected into not only the end product, but all of the manufacturing ideologies. So um, with Visconti, you're not just paying for the nib and the tipping. You know, they put so much more into everything else. They the, the concept, you know, the the inspiration behind all of the manufacturing materials and, you know, the, this this tradition, the the like you're buying the whole thing and honestly it's also more expensive to produce things in italy so there's that too but we won't get into all that that's a whole other issue but um when you are uh buying an italian pen you're buying that passion you're buying the inspiration behind the art and you're buying the flair like that's something the, the word flair comes to mind a lot when uh, i was actually speaking speaking with a pen friend of mine named david who's a big italian pen fan about this brian and uh, he he mentioned this. He's like, he mentioned like when you get a good Italian pen, when it's flawless, it is just an experience like no other, and it does have that passion, that flair. And as he was mentioning those words, I thought of the word romance, not in the lovey-dovey yeah. sense, but um, I was like, what what is that definition? What am I searching for? And I actually looked it up, and it is uh, defined that second definition that we don't always hear about is a quality or feeling of mystery, excitement, and remoteness from everyday life. And that, I think, describes Italian pens really well. Hmm. That that version of romance. Um, it's, and then that, that's what it is. And you see that with a lot of Italian principles and the way that they build and create. And that is most definitely indicative uh, in their fountain pen situation. Um, all that said, they're not all perfect, for sure. When they switched to their in-house nibs, what was that, uh, late 2020, somewhere around there, Brian? Yeah, there was like a transition period. It was late 2020 into early 2021. But when they did make that switch, we definitely did see some growing pains. We saw some funky nibs. Uh, We gave them that feedback. We were really picky about what we would sell in our store. And um, it's a big deal when a company shifts from having their nibs made from, you know, a large third party like Bach, Schmidt, Yovo to, you know, something more compared compartmentalized and exclusive to that company, which is what Visconti did. And uh, But the good news is they received that feedback graciously. They've made great improvements. Things are much, much, much better. Yeah. And that's just been their story. They're, all, they're never closed-minded about feedback. They're always, they want their pens to be flawless. And that's ultimately what matters because the more feedback they get, the more they're going to continue to strive for that perfection, which, you know, obviously nobody's going to get. But you know, they do seek to improve and they have improved greatly from what we've seen. We've given them direct feedback plenty of times, as we do with all of our vendors, not just Visconti <laughs> and certainly not just Italian pens. We see issues with all of our pens, depending, regardless of what country they come from. No pen is perfect. Um, but I think that when you do buy an Italian pen, a Visconti pen or Penite or whatever, you do you are buying a whole lot more than that nib and that um tipping they are presenting the pen in its entirety so just keep that in mind because a lot more goes into that price and the price ultimately is what is going to define a lot of our expectations so um if you do have an issue we're going to take care of you we're going to make sure that you don't get a pen from us that you are in any way unhappy with it's not in our best interest it's not in your best interest we want you to write with the fountain pen that you love so that you'll keep on writing with fountain pens, right? So uh, we are 100% going to take care of you. So don't fear buying a Visconti or anything else, regardless of what you've heard. Try it and see if you like it. And if you don't, let us know and we'll make it right. So 
it's you know not a it's not completely impervious to a little bit of turbulence if something isn't perfect but the end result we will make sure is as perfect as it possibly can be yeah and i think about you know it falls into this place for me sort of like um really inexpensive flex pens or flex nibs you know it doesn't have to be a really expensive pen to have high expectations or something but it's a uh when there's a a difference of an expectation um and for whatever reason it's not met then not only do you have some of that disappointment, but then people are very quick to kind of jump on and comment about it as well. <laughs> and then once something gets a reputation around that, it gets brought up and brought up and brought up and brought up, especially when you have something that's really expensive like this. It's not just Visconti, but other brands too. Um, if there's something that it kind of gets a stakehold in the community, there's not probably that many people that actually even own these pens or especially that have even had that negative experience with a pen. But there's a lot of people that are quick to comment about it and be like, oh, you, you know, somebody's like, oh, I'm really looking at buying this Visconti, whatever. There's a lot of people that are quick to jump on and be like, oh, make sure you get one with a good nib. And it's like, they don't even have any experience with that. But, you know, that's that's a lot of the the feedback that then gets on there. So we get a lot of questions from people like over-indexed. And we've had this happen. Drew, remember, we had to do a video specifically on the Lamy 2000 because we had so many people asking us that we're actually ordering Lamy 2000s and being like, can you please check mine and make sure I have a good one? And we were like, yeah, make sure mine doesn't have a sweet spot. And we're like, they're, they're fine. Like it's just, you know, certain things. They're exactly the way they're supposed to be. You know, it might, it's not the same as every other pen, but it's the same as every other Lamy 2000 pen. Yeah. So when you have anything that's kind of unique, you're going to get a lot more of that. You're going to get, and, and I think, especially as you were talking, Drew, I was kind of thinking like, you know, why does like Visconti and, and honestly, a lot of our Italian brands, why do they have a little more of this reputation? I was thinking, you know, I think because in general, they have a lot of like hand craftsmanship in their work mm-hmm. and they are, you know, they're very passionate driven and, and they come out with a lot of different models and designs. And it's a ton of work to come up with new pens, new nibs, new filling mechanisms, stuff like that. Um, and anytime you're doing that, especially if you're making a more in like a small batch type production, which pretty much all the Italian companies are small batch production, exactly. you know, Monograppa Mon- and Aurora are like some of the bigger ones, but they're really not even that big, really. And we've when you seen look their at manufacturing like a process. Or Lamy or something. Yeah, there's, there's, still, there's, there's a lot of handwork there. And that, that's on handwork. That's yeah. that's I think the Italian you know advantage is that they're very nimble and agile and they do have that ability to innovate mm-hmm. a little bit more sure. because you know production efficiency isn't their top number one thing. If you look at a company like Lamy, like that German efficiency, like that's so defined in their highly, whole setup. Highly mechanized. And yeah. that's and that's just not Italy. And and I don't want it to be. I, I, we have Germany for that, you know. I, I think Italy does has a different superpower. Um, yeah, it is. It is, and we're generalizing here, of course. Yeah. But um, you know, certainly some of the culture can influence you know productivity methods and stuff like that. But um, I think in general, when you have any company that's um, not even just like necessarily the hand craftsmanship aspect of it, but any company where they're coming out with a lot of designs, a lot of models, and they're doing more small batch stuff, what you're going to see is you're going to see. Um, you know, probably more handwork in those because it just doesn't make sense. You can't really mass produce something that's in a small batch, um, but you're going to see um, more inconsistencies because anytime it's the human component to it, that's, you know, tweaking it, adjusting it, fitting it, putting it together, whatever, you're going to see perhaps, you know, different quirks and tweaks and things like that. Every pen's got its, you know, quirks to some degree, um, but you're going to have um, maybe some different quirks 
on some of the pens. So like you might have some pens that I'm, I'm super generalizing here and it's still, it's still a small fraction. Most of the pens are perfectly fine, but there are some issues that will come up on one, one pen that comes out. It might be the, the tines are a little bit too tight or it's ground, you know, in such a way or, you know, whatever. Um, and we might see, those issues popping up a little different on different pens. So then, you know, we as a retailer are seeing all these different pens and we get a bigger, bigger perspective to know, okay, some of these issues are isolated over here, some are over here, some over here. But then when you just kind of go out there on the internet and people comment, they're like, well, my, you know, I have this pen and it had a nip issue over here and there was this flaw in the finish over here and this, and then people kind of pile on. It then makes it seem like these things are just, all over the place when in reality it's not that bad and it just uh you know it's it's uh we as a retailer and them as a manufacturer for sure have a just a broader perspective on it and so you know i think it's something that we're always going to hear about a little bit especially from some of these boutique companies and there's a lot of handwork and they're coming out with a lot of models of pens this is more opportunities for things to be different and weird and wrong and have crazy expectations and stuff but at the same time, we have a really good relationship with them. We are always passing them feedback and we're always taking feedback from you all. So, you know, in the end, um, I think it's the kind of thing, like if you want a completely guaranteed, no trouble whatsoever model, like maybe don't get that one get something else. That's just much more predictable, you know, pilot and sailor and stuff like that. They're just, you know, much more focused on quality, but then they have, you know, like a sailor, they've got like three models of pen, you know, it's like super consistent, super reliable, and just not as much innovation, you know, on the design side of things. And that's fine. Like, that's why we have all these different pens and we love yeah. them all for different reasons. But, that's, what, that's why I think um, that yeah. every every uh, major country of fountain pen manufacturer has their own superpower. I think that's Absolutely. really cool. I, I like, yeah. I appreciate the diversity. Very, very true. Cool. All right. Next. All right. We've got an Instagram comment from CMC. CMCD draws 88. All right. And uh, they're just asking for some Banu updates, Brian. Are there new pens in July? Oh, are the new pens in July Goulet exclusives? They're not listed on Banu's website. I believe that CMCD is talking about the Dream Bean and the, um, uh, what's that other one we have? Uh, on the, Lucky uh, Clover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, the Four Leaf Clover, sorry. Um, so as far as we know now, you know, we've gotten some updates, but we try not to pester them because they've got a lot going on. Um, they're out of Russia. They're fully operational in Armenia. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of cool. They, they have been anti-invasion ever from since the beginning. Um, and we were, you know, there's a lot of confusion about that in the beginning back in March, but you know, since then we've come to understand they're very much on the, the good side of things here. Um, none of their, none of the money from anything they've made has gone to Russia since the invasion. So we found out they actually refused to even accept money or ship anything to the U S distributor. We're not the distributor, but, um, they refused to do that to the distributor since the invasion because they didn't want the Russian government to be involved in any of it. So they waited until they were completely out to resume operation again. So they really, I mean, they literally moved their entire operation, uprooted their family, everything. It's like to the degree that I can not even really conceive of what that is like to do that. So, um, just it's just incredible so um but anyway so they are we actually received our first banu shipment last week um since all this has gone down um and you know that's awesome to see 
um, we had actually <laughs> we had actually placed that order like early March before the invasion happened, and they didn't they didn't ship it. Uh, but now they they shipped again, so we're finally restocking on some of it. Um, as you can imagine, getting set up in a whole new country and moving their employees and everything is gonna it's gonna be a little disruptive. So <laughs> there, it's amazing to me that they've gotten this set up this quickly. Um, cause I'm thinking like, man, they got to get raw materials and suppliers and like shipping operation and like just banking and employee benefits. Like how in yeah. the world do you set all that up in a couple of months? That is, yeah, I think, un- I don't think unreal. they're quite 100% there. I think they still have a few machines still in Russia. They need to get out and a few employees, but they are producing in Armenia right now. So it's amazing. Yeah. There's, I think there's going to be like kind of mixed stock, like some like here, some there, but they are producing. I know oh, that. Yeah. Um, it's going to so, be. And yeah. that's amazing. That is just frankly astounding. It's, inc- it's kind of incredible. Yeah. So um, that is really cool to see. We're super encouraged by that. Um, but the four leaf clover and the dream bean, from what I understand, they were pens that they had already planned before all this went down. Yeah. Not exclusives. So, yeah. They're not exclusives of ours. We didn't have any hand in them at all. In fact, they didn't even. They didn't even publicize that these were out until a couple of weeks ago. Um, so they were kind of new to us even. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, we knew that they were getting settled in and all that we'd gotten clarity on their whole situation. So we were like, I mean, obviously, Four Leaf Clover was probably a plan, a pen that was planned to launch closer to St. Patrick's Day timeframe, uh, or at least spring in general, not like early summer. But uh, so you can imagine um it's the kind of thing that like, well, that's what they have. So <laughs> it was already in process or whatever. And so they're launching it and we're like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't even know if people buy it, but we're going to carry it. We just want to support them. We want to make it available to you all. It's still a cool green pen. You know, it's fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to offer those uh, whenever we get them in, but it's not an exclusive of ours. We have talked to them about doing some exclusives, especially because we want to like, we want to help them get set back up. And, and, you know, there's only so much we can do or across the world. But it's like, hey, you know, to get y'all set up, can we, you know, look at doing an exclusive together or something just to help get things rolling? Obviously, being sensitive to the fact that it's going to be a lot of delays and stuff on their part. So we got some some stuff, you know, in talks and in the works and stuff like that too. Um, nothing that's like public or that we're ready to, you know, talk about yet. Especially because we're totally just being flexible on their end in terms of time frame. Um, but it's certainly something that we want to continue to working with them and supporting them. So, um, you know, look for, you know, we'll update on the pencast and other places on our site too, once we have more to update there. But, you know, I would imagine it's going to take them probably another three, four months at least until they're like a little more regularly operational. But the fact that they do have products coming, you know, uh, you know, across the world now is pretty encouraging to see. And I would hope that we'll start to see more regular shipments as they're getting set up. So, that's uh, as far as being listed on their website. I don't really know about that. I'm sure it's just that they've got a lot going on and they probably haven't listed those pens on their site. But I mean, I mean, they had pictures for us and everything. So it's, it's I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that, but it's 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 not anything special to us. Other retailers are going to have it, too. All right. Drew, are you ready for another question? Ooh, yeah, it's a good one. You I'm, sa- issue I'm, sa- I'm sad, Brian, because these lights back here aren't working. Did they die? Yeah. Yeah, they're battery powered, so they probably need. I've got. Batteries. I've got one. I've got one on. You got one left. Oh, yeah, no. that's very sad. I knew they would die at some point. I'm surprised they lasted this long, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, no ambiance. I'm just just. That's uh, all. Right. Might as well be. In, might as well be in sunroom with some random Jake Weidman print behind me. Jeez. You could just have a plain green background. <laughs> Did that for a while. Oh man. Cool. All right. 
All right, well, we've got another one. We've got another one. Uh, you ready oh, for you, a pot- yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw something at me. This is a good one. This is a potential deep dive here. Uh, this is from Lorbs94K. Heat setting nibs, colon. What? Why? When? How? So, Drew, enlighten well, us. Well, we haven't talked about heat setting nibs in quite some time, Brian. That's because and- you you don't heat set nibs. What uh, feeds? Whatever. Come on, you know what I mean. Anyway, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, they say they said heat setting nibs, but it's yeah, it's, 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 it's used interchangeably. You're heat setting yeah. you're heat setting the feed to the nib. So but Brian, it's, do you remember our something. our first like major video collaboration was a heat setting video? I remember that. I oh, was what a I was in, what a monumental day. I was in really, I was in really really good shape when we shot that video. I don't ever <laughs> want to I don't ever want to take it down because. <laughs> I'll probably never look that good ever again. But anyway, I just I didn't know how to fix my hair. That's all I remember. Big old fuzzy thing going on. Anyway, heat setting feeds. All right, lorbs. Um, so what is heat setting? Uh, heat setting is essentially using heat, generally hot hot water, to make the feed more malleable, so that you can reshape it, or just not reshape it. It's still going to be in the shape of a feed, but it can, you know, move up and down, left to right a little bit more to just kind of better fit either your grip section or your nib, exactly. Um, So generally it is used with ebonite feeds because ebonites are, ebonite is porous. It is a hard rubber that has a bit of a memory so that it can be bent into one shape and then it can return to its original shape when heated up. So uh, it can be done with plastic Plastic usually takes a little bit longer to reach that malleability, and plastic is certainly more melty than ebonite is. Ebonite will melt for sure, um, but it's more of a like a bubbly, like catch on fire melt than like a squishy plastic melt. Either way, they can both mm. be screwed up seriously. Um, so. There are two methods of heat setting that we like to use and recommend, and both of them involve the same initial practice. So you generally want to start off with a cup of hot, hot water, usually right off the boil. Um, So basically you boil some water, wait about, you know, 20 to 30 seconds. So it's not boiling, but right, right, right below boiling. And then you submerge the nib in the feed you know, right up to the grip section. Not really a good idea to submerge past that grip section because the nib and feed can generally take next to boiling water. The feed, sorry, the grip section, who knows what that's made out of? I don't want to recommend that because you might have a grip section that absolutely does not appreciate next to boiling water. So just bring it right up to that grip section. Once that's done, I like to say, keep that in there for a minute to two minutes. It can be done less than that, like 30 to 45 seconds, maybe even a minute. If it's ebonite, ebonite generally uh, heats up faster than plastic does, but nothing bad is going to happen by leaving it there longer. So just to, you know, you go ahead for two minutes, regardless of whether you've got ebonite or plastic. The simplest form of heat setting is after you have it in there, uh, it might just be better just by doing that. If your nib is pressing too far against your feed. Hmm. Because if that's your problem, then if you've got your nib kind of pressing really, really hard against your feed, then heating up your feed is going to basically just make the feed lose the fight. You're, make, you're gonna make it give up because it's gonna lose its rigidity 
and the nib is going to be able to just kind of push it to where it wants to go. And then it's going to dry and it's going to stay there. So your nib is going to win that fight because you don't want them to be fighting. You want them to be sandwiched together like a nice, happy sandwich of unity. And if they're fighting and they're just really going at it, then no ink is going to go between them. So by heating up the feed and making it more malleable, you're just saying, give up feed. The nib's going to win this. And the nib's just like, okay, go here, please. Thank you. We're done. Um, that's the easiest way. And honestly, if you've got a if you think you have an issue with your nib and feed, try that first to see if it works. Um, if that doesn't work, it might be because you've got too much space. And if you've got too much space between your nib and your feed, then you actually need to move your feed a little bit closer to the nib. So um, that's the other half of it. So if that first tip doesn't work, the second thing you do is do it again. And then this time, after you pull it back out after two minutes, take your thumb and just press the feed up against the nib for a little while um, not so much that you see the tines on the nib like really start going open, but maybe just uh, like push until you see a little bit of flex and then maybe bring it back so that it's just not doing it, you know? So you want it uh, touching-ish, but, you know, ink needs to go there. So you can try that a couple more, couple more times. And again, you can, if, if it's too much, uh, if you push it too hard and it's now too tight against the nib, then that's fine because you can just go and do that first method that I mentioned. You just yeah. heat it up again and the nib's going to push it back to where it wants to go. So Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you're heat setting it for the first time, if it's too far away from the nib, I would be I personally would be less afraid of kind of overcorrecting it because again, mm-hmm. you can always heat it up again. And exactly. as long as you're not going too hot and melting it or burning it or whatever, you can heat yeah. it up again and again and again. Um, especially ebonite. I mean, plastic, you can do it too. Um, but uh, as long as you're not going so hot, you don't want to get it to like the melting point. If you get to no. the melting point, then you're kind of done no matter what. Yeah. And that, um, that's why water is yeah. way safer. In the early days yeah. of ebonite heat heat setting, I've seen people recommend oil lamps and open <sighs> flame. And it's yeah, just that can so be risky. done. But the risk just far outweighs the reward, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I think that uh, probably a lot of the reason you saw people using open flames and like lighters and stuff like that is because if you had people that were adjusting them at something like a pen show, it was probably easier just to like whip out a lighter and try it that way than it was to try to find a constant source of hot water. But I don't know. I've looked at like Mike Masayama and other nibmeisters at pen shows. They'll have like an electric kettle or something. Mm-hmm. They'll have they'll have like a little a little thing of electrically charged thing of hot water whatever for the purpose of of heat setting feeds so um that's definitely preferred plus joe if you ever think like when you go outside and it seems hot or cold you know the air around you it's it's easier to insulate yourself but if you jump into a pool of water you are much more sensitive to that temperature because the water is enveloping you so i think that if you're heat setting something in water you're going to get a more complete uh, heating, you're going to get a better heating of whatever that feed is, no matter what it's made of. Um, I think when you immerse it in water, you don't have to go as hot. You know, you don't have to use like a flame or something. It's, it's going to be a more consistent heat across that whole item uh, than it would be if you were trying to do it with like a flame or hot air or something like that. So I'm, I'm personally, I only use the, the water heated method whenever I'm yeah, heat. I don't recommend anything. anything other than that. It's just not worth it, really. It's not worth the risk. Yeah, but it definitely, it definitely is a is a big help, and uh, I've found it to be really helpful with 
uh, with plastic beads as well. I didn't used to want to do it with plastic beads, but in the last couple of years, I've been doing that more and more, and it definitely doesn't hurt. It either makes it better or I don't see any change. So the risk is pretty low when you're using hot water. So I would definitely suggest giving it a try. Brian, yeah. maybe we should do another video on that soon. Hmm. I'm open to that. Because we only yeah. talked we only talked about the pressing method. We never totally we didn't really cover That's the true. just kind of leave That's it true. alone method. And we only talked about ebonite. <clears throat> we didn't really cover plastic either. So yeah, yeah I'm open to that. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments. If we if we could be due for an updated, I mean, we did that what like seven eight years ago. It was a while ago. Um, if it would be good to do an updated one. We definitely, definitely need to show off some of the weight gain and hair loss, right? I mean. Oh, that's what everybody wants to less, see. Yeah. <laughs> we need to like deep fake ourselves to our younger, <laughs> younger versions of us. <laughs> oh, oh my man. gosh. Yeah, that's um, it for me though. The, the one thing I had to add to that. So when I saw the question of the what, why, when, and how uh, made me think of, did, you, did Archer ever watch Busy Town Mysteries? It was like no. a. You remember Richard Scarry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Town? That was like that was like when we were kids, though. I didn't think. Oh they yeah. Still, I didn't think well, kids did still watch that. I don't remember when the TV show happened. I never discovered it as a kid, but when my kids were younger, we discovered it on Netflix or something. And they have a an opening theme song to Busy Town Mysteries, um, which, you know, I won't sing it, but it's it's you know it says like who, what, why, how, who, uh, what, when, where, why, how. Nice. So like Rachel and I will just like bust that out all the time. Whenever we're just like, what is going on, you know? And we're just like, who, what, why? <laughs> so, anyway, very random, but that's what it made me think of with old Lorb's questions. Um, all right, Drew, we got one more for you. Yes, we do. And yeah. um, aptly from Sailor Pen Lover on Instagram, hey. all right. Sailor Pen Lover is asking about Twisby. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Sailor Pen Lover asks, why don't pen manufacturers besides Sailor make layered slash stacked nibs? Oh, first of all, Brian, what nice. the heck is a stack nib? If I have no idea what Sailor Pen Lover is talking about, yeah, I mean, Sailor has a bunch of different ones. They're very, you know, customized nibs. Basically, you take, you know, parts of multiple nibs and you literally do what it sounds like you're stacking them on top of each other. So think about like, I don't know, like a zoom nib, right? So you can get, you know, a thinner stroke when it's really high and a fatter stroke when it's writing low angle. Well, you can get a much more dramatic effect of that when you stack nibs together because you can essentially extend the tipping to completely disproportionate levels of what you would have with a regular fountain pen nib. Um, and it was really Sailor that that innovated that um, quite a bit. Um, and uh, I'm terrible with names. There was the, but in particular, there was one Sailor nibmeister who, oh gosh, do you remember his name, Drew? Nagahara. Uh, yes. Mr. Nagahara. So he innovated with Sailor 50 years ago or something like that. Um, he's since passed, but um, he came up with basically all of Sailor's really unique, like the King Eagle nib. And that's the one that I know is like the most iconic. Um, I think that has like three nibs stacked on each other or something crazy. Um, but uh, it's really it's really him that came up with a lot of that. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, he... He worked for Sailor, and so produced them all for Sailor. So when you talk about like why doesn't people make it besides Sailor, it was really it was really Mr. Nagahara, and I think his son, senior, yeah, Nagahara senior, senior. I think his son is is doing it now uh-huh. to to a degree. I don't know if anybody else even does it. I mean, you're literally talking like maybe a handful of people in the world that do. There's no, I, I don't believe there's any. <clears throat> um, uh, Nakaya might. Um, 
But I, I think that generally speaking, no large fountain pen manufacturer does it for sure. And even Sailor no. doesn't do it at scale. These no, are they just, don't. They're, like, they're so complicated. They're so difficult to do. You might see some independent, very, very talented makers do them at very small scales for a high premium because it's it's very intensive to do it right and to make it look good too. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like you can think the complexities of getting one fountain pen nib to work right. Well, when you start stacking them, you are exponentially getting more complicated with every stacking that you do. Um, and from what I understand, like the time and the talent that it takes and the waste that you have in screwing it up is pretty extreme. So, um, I remember Ralph Reyes was, was doing it for a while. I haven't talked to Ralph in a while. Um, but he, he got really inspired by Mr. Nagahara and he did a lot of stack nibs. I remember talking to him, I think it was at the San Francisco show in 2018, maybe I might be remembering the year wrong, but, um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to him. He said there was one, one, I have one of his, one of Ralph's stacked nibs. I think he said he wasted 60 nibs trying to make the stacked nib that I ended up buying, you know, and it was like $350 or something crazy for that nib. But I knew how much work went into that and just how much time and everything. So it's like, yeah, the reason it's not produced is because it's, totally impractical to do at any kind of a scale it's a very very much of a um specialty kind of item that i don't think we'll ever see done at at scale but it's pretty dang cool it's very cool i I have one that uh, a pen sloth on instagram gifted me and i've seen um cy over at tokyo station pens make some too His, his look really nice as well oh cool okay so i mean i think yeah that's that's cool that now you know, things are decentralized a little bit and people can take inspiration from others that they meet at pen shows or see, you know, in images online. But I think there's still the same learning curve for everybody who's trying to do it, especially given that there's no like training protocol, so to speak, for doing this kind of stuff. You basically just have to figure it out. But it's kind of crazy. So, yeah, there you go. That's so Q&A. Now you know what they are and you don't ever want one because you're never going to get one. Uh, so <laughs> All right, let's move on to the tip of the week. All right, Drew, I'm not going to say that we're like tapping the bottom of the well of tips of the week, but we've been doing this for some time now. Yeah, lot, someone someone commented tips. on YouTube about like, it seems like you guys are kind of running out of these. <laughs> so well, maybe. Uh, you know, we are, but we had this one that was kind of lingering there and it was like, ah. This is a tip I've heard about, but like we've never really done it or heard about it from any other people. So it's like going to be some work for us to determine how valid of a tip this even is. But we didn't want to shy away from that. So we did a little bit of testing and uh, we have something here for you. I'll say it is a definitively um, not something that most people are going to want to do. But we were curious about it and we've heard that it can work. And I think we have something to share with you all today. So it's about resealing or, or sealing initially ink cartridges. So... Um, you know, ink cartridges, not the preferred filling mechanism for most people. Most people are using converters, at least that are Goulet customers, um, because they want to use bottled ink. But for certain things, maybe you don't have a lot of converters, like Platinum's converters are kind of expensive. And, you know, you may want more options, or maybe you want the convenience of an ink cartridge and you want to be able to fill spares, but the ink that you want to use doesn't come in a cartridge that fits your particular pen because it might be proprietary or that ink maker may not make cartridges. So what is a person to do? Well, 
We heard this little hack from somebody, this was years ago. I'm probably pulling eight, nine years ago that I heard this little tidbit from like one person. I don't remember who it was, I'm sorry. I don't even know how I would find out who it was because this was a long time ago, but they said, I use a hot glue gun to seal my ink cartridges when I refill them. They said, I like to use, you know, whatever it is. They like, I think they were using the standard international long cartridges in some pen, which not every pen fits those cartridges. Um, and they were refilling it with, I think it was like Eroshizuku or something like that. So they were taking an ink that wasn't even available in any cartridge and putting it into a cartridge that wouldn't even be made if that ink company were to make cartridges. Um, and they basically were like, sort of productionizing the making of their own cartridges and, you know, filling them up with an ink syringe after they cleaned out the the cartridges. And then they were sealing them off with a hot glue gun. And I was like, I mean, that seems like it could work, but I didn't know how practical it would be. And I'd never actually tried it. So I busted out a couple different hot glue guns, actually. And I tried sealing it up. And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. And then I drew, did you test your... I, I I also heard an interesting thing, and <laughs> what my contact told me was that he, for a long time, has been resealing standard international short cartridges simply by reusing what's already there. So hmm. he said he pulled the end plug, the colored, the solid black end plug, off of his standard international short cartridge, used like, used a one? yeah um, used a skewer to pop the agitator ball back into the entry point and then simply recap it. Um, and I was like, wait, how would I not know I never, that? I never thought so, to like pull the plug off the back of the Well, cartridge. spoiler alert, you can't. Um, <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> well, that explains I, it then. That, that explains it. So I got, now I won't say you can't. You can't with the standard international shorts that Monteverde or Diamine sell. Oh, okay. um, I after I failed miserably at this, they're glued on. You know, so that end cap is a different okay. type of plastic than the rest, but they're just glued on. It's just a glued cap. There's no part of that cap it that sense. goes down into the cartridge. It's just a, a just a lid. It's not a um, it's not a plug. Yeah. So. In normal use, you would not want that to be a removable part. Well, you do not want this thing to be like you bust open one day. However, the cartridge that this gentleman used most certainly did have that. He he sent me pictures, and it was a plug. It was a um, double walled plug, and it went into the back of the uh, cartridge. So I don't know what brand that was, but it. I don't believe it was one that we carried. So I'm not sure who's producing that, but the one hmm. that he had could do it. So basically, if you clean out your cartridge and you can see that the end cap actually does penetrate the actual cartridge, then maybe it is a plug that can be removed. And I also took the opportunity, Brian, to uh, rinse out a Twisby cartridge, and that appears to have a plug. That one, that the end cap of the Twisby cartridges, and these are pretty new cartridges. These didn't come out until the Twisby swipe came out. So yeah, it's basically, are, it's a Twisby swipe cartridge. Right, right essentially it is. Uh, so that one does have a plug. However, the plug does actually go down beneath the walls of the cartridge barrel, essentially. So you can't get anything up under it to pop it off. I don't know how you would remove it. Um, 
you can't i i broke i broke an exacto knife trying to pry it out i so. wonder if you could if you could like insert like a skewer or something if it's thin enough can you poke it through the open end assuming the cartridge is empty possibly could you, could you push it out possibly maybe? possibly I don't, I don't know i haven't tried that okay but it's, it's worth a try. So, so the the answer is there do there does appear to be some cartridges that have a plug, and there some there appear to be someone some that just have a lid. So the lid ones definitely are not reusable. The plug ones, if I were a MythBuster, I would call that plausible. Okay, but that also would only work on this specific version of the Standard International. None of the other cartridges that I've looked at. You know, I've got a Pilot Namiki one. I've got a Platinum one here. All the standard internationals I have, standard international long, none of them have a plug on the back. Right. So this is going to be that's going to be more of a nice to have if you have that option. But you know, the hot glue thing was the thing that I've heard that is a little more universal, right? Um, especially with these proprietary cartridges too. Um, now I have heard there, there was one kind of boutique maker I saw that made like plugs that was like it was like a brass plug or something like that. Yeah, you know, they weren't the cheapest thing in the world. I'm failing to remember where. I haven't heard about it in a while, um, but they were they were not the cheapest thing either. They were like thirty bucks or something, which makes sense because it's manufactured. But you know, they were basically like plugs that you could put in there. But even that, it's like then you you know you're not going to be able to do like ten of those. You know, so I wanted to try the high glue thing because I thought this could be something practical to do in a little more like call it a mass production fashion. Mm-hmm. Now the thing I will say is that I did this last night. So I really am not scientifically testing this to see like, you know, will it seal well over time? Or, you know, if you wait three weeks and you're carrying it around in your car, would that glue come undone or something like that? So there's probably scenarios where this glue would fail because it's not necessarily what it's designed for. And depending on the type of cartridge and stuff like that, I can imagine the glue may bond or not bond as well to certain types of cartridges. Um, but I just wanted to kind of get a feel for it, just get some sense of what it was like. Now, I'm not a super like uh, adept hot glue gun user. Glue gunner. Yeah, um, but I, do, I did try two different glue guns because I know that there are types. There are types of glue guns. Um, one of them I had, and I already had these and they're like super old. One of them I have is like old, like craftsman style, like traditional size, you know, with the big old fat chunky sticks. Um, and so I tried that one. That one, uh, was a bit much, didn't really have like precision control over it. So I sort of had to glob it onto there and then use like a toothpick or something more precise and then kind of like get it in there to make sure I covered the, the whole because what I didn't want was this big, like, massive glob of hot glue on the end. Um, you know, but um, the other gun that I had was this, this little tiny one, which I bought more for, like, my kids' crafts and stuff. So it's this little baby one, and it uses mini, mini glue sticks. So they're much smaller, much more controllable. This was definitely a little easier to control, but none of them are precision control. You know, you're, like, squeezing the thing, and it's like, okay, nothing's really coming. And then it's just like, blah, and it kind of yeah, blobs out. Yeah, you have to wait for it to really heat up. Yeah. It's not not unlike when you're trying to use, you know, 
an ink syringe, how you have precision control, but then you use the the squeeze like bulb type syringes, and it's and just the bulbs bulbs is much everyone. better, is what you're. And the, yeah, and the yeah. bulb you just have no control. No, no, whatsoever. complete drop controls. So, <laughs> the drop, you own the drop at that point with a syringe. It's yeah, you own you own everywhere that that drop happens to end up landing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Drew and I have a, a difference about whether the bulb the bulb syringe or the uh, ink syringe gives you more control. But anyway. It's the pipette, the pipette. I'm a fan of the pipette. The pipette, that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, not the not the big not the blue bulb syringe. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I have some B-roll that I shot. We'll overlay it here at some point because I shot it on my phone because this is, you know, it's hard to show this like close up here. Um, but I did some standard international cartridges, um, t- especially because those have generally like the smallest openings to try to seal. It's not hard to get glue over those. Um, and then I did, I have a platinum one which is, uh, you know, a bigger opening. And then the Pilot Namiki one has, you know, one of the larger openings. Them and Sailor, I think, have like the biggest, widest opening with like no real lip to it or anything. So I was like, if anything's going to fail, it's going to be a big old glob that is just hanging on to the sides, you know. So um, I basically just glob the glue on there and kind of let it dry. I haven't like stress tested it or anything, but I mean... I guess I can like squeeze them and see, maybe I'm going to get ink all over myself, but like, I don't know. Like it seems to be pretty durable on these. I haven't really tested this cause I wanted to sort of do it live. This one, I didn't do the as good of a job doing it, but it's still well sealed. So, I mean, it seems to have done the job of sealing it. The platinum one is a really hard cartridge, so it's going to be super durable. I don't yeah. think it's going to go anywhere. The pilot and Miki one, I mean, it's, it's not going anywhere. And I really can like you, can, globbed can, it. There's a lot you, of extra space in there. So I like really got it down in there. Can you get it out though? That was going to be the thing I was going to test next. Cause like, what good is a cartridge if you can't actually like use it functionally? Yeah. So at first when I did it, the standard international ones, um, I was like, oh, let me try and get it like nice and flush. That way, if I want to store a bunch of them, like say I wanted to store them in the, uh, the name of the Kaweco cartridge magazine thing that I can never remember what it's called twist and out. Yeah. Like if I wanted to put it in that, I can't have a big old glob of glue on every single cartridge. I needs to be like somewhat streamlined. Right. But then after I did them all, I was like, how am I going to get this glue out? Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that because normally you have a little ball inside the top of the cartridge, which then falls into the ink and doubles as an agitator. Uh, and just kind of knocks around as you're using it. Now, my, all the balls are still in here, so I didn't lose the agitator. But then I'm like, normally you're not in a situation where you're trying to extract something out of the covering of the cartridge before you install it. And you don't want to just go jamming this thing onto your pen because you're going to jam the hot glue like up into the back of your feet and clog the thing and it's not going to work right. So you need to like actually remove it. So I didn't quite think about that. <laughs> so I I did like sort of streamlined and I want to see like how easy is it to get just with like my fingernails. Cause I'm, I'm really thinking, curious about that pilot one because that one being so deep in there. Well, and I kind of glob that one on there. Right. So I kind of wanted to see now the hot glue when it's dry, it's, it's pretty boogery. It's like a boogery consistency. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of integrity. So it's not like you get one piece of it and you can just rip the whole thing out. Right. It's going to like shred and, right. you know, kind of like pick off into these little, these little boogers that are coming off. Um, <laughs> And me personally, I'm a good test because I keep my fingernails short and my fingernails are extremely soft. So I do not have a lot of like clawing power. Mm. Rachel, Rachel, she's got like talons. <laughs> I mean, her, 
she can open a soda can with just her fingernail. Oh God. And I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. Like my fingernails break so easily. They're super flimsy. Um, this is genetic. My mom's that way too. But um, anyway, I am definitely having some difficulties in trying to get <laughs> my flush glued cartridges. Oh, mm. I got a, I got a puncture. I got a puncture. I also didn't think about the fact that I'm absolutely going to get ink on my fingers as I'm doing this. Now, there may be some tool, like maybe a toothpick, which I happen to have right here, actually, on the floor. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get an inky hand thumbnail out of this video like we did when I tried to do that Twisby thing. Oh, I broke my toothpick. Okay. That's cool. Coincidentally, that happened the week preceding a week off where we filmed one in advance. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, it's, uh, I, I'm feeling better about the integrity of the glue in transit because it's not proving to be very easy to get off. Oh my gosh, I'm like. I think. Okay, I'm, I'm not loving this process. Are, are, you, are you ready to call this busted? Well, this was like the flush mounted one on the super small. Okay, well let's let's move on to a different one. We're not we've we've got uh, we're well exceeding people's yeah. <laughs> time. We have timestamps so you can skip all this. I'm gonna try the one that I did like a more bulbous um, globule onto the top of this standard international cartridge. The problem is even if I make it bulbous, it just shreds off. Yeah. As I'm doing it. Now, these glue sticks are probably as old as I am. <laughs> so I don't know if newer glue sticks, but I think that's I think hot glue is generally pretty soft anyway when it dries. It is, it is. I've so, used a lot. I've used a lot kind of recently with uh, my kids' Halloween costume and stuff. Okay, I could see if I had like an uh, like a small screwdriver, like you would use for eyeglasses, maybe even a paper clip or something firmer. My toothpick is like breaking apart as I'm trying to get in there, mm. and there's still all this like shredded kind of schmutz in right. there. But I wouldn't feel thing. great if, about shoving this on a pen. If any of that goes into the pen, it could. Into the it's ink, not it could be cause good. clogging. The agitator bulbs yeah. don't don't really have that issue because they're so very lightweight. They don't plummet to the bottom. Uh, they kind of float around. Yeah, and and, and they're not going to come back through because they they don't. You know, you pressed it through. Like it's not naturally going to come through. It's always going to stay in the cartridge. Right. But if you're shredding these tiny little pieces of glue and it drops down into the ink, yeah. that's eventually going to work its way and could clog up your feet. So yeah. that's not great. So not loving that for the okay. small ones. Well, I'll try the platinum, which I did a bulbous globule on this one as well. Let me see if I can. I'm realizing just how soft my fingernails are. It's like my fingernails are not even able to hold up to the hot glue. I mean, it's like, well, hang on. I got a little bit of a, a little bit more of a complete. Okay. So that one created a little bit more of a plug. Okay, there okay. you go. So I'm actually like seeing a plug it all removed out of the platinum one. So on the smaller standard international ones, maybe there's like a method to it that I could do it like, also, do like more because I had like I had like kind of pushed it down in there because my concern was that it would pop off. So I I like try to get it the ink or get the glue kind of like down in it so that it would have maximum seal and it seems like I may have done that too well. Also, hot ones. glue is kind of uh, choosy about what sort of surfaces it sticks really well to. Yeah, it might it might be that the platinum oh. plastic is just a different 
sort of surface. I think that, you know, uh, hot glue works much better with uh, more textured surfaces. Yeah. So the more the more slick, the less it's going to adhere to. So maybe. So that was fine. Uh, yeah, platinum. maybe the platinum because it is a very now, different material. The Pilot Namiki one, I've got a good, I don't know, three, four millimeters down into this thing. Oh boy. With a big fat old turd on the top that I can try to grab onto. <laughs> so if, if I'm going to get a grip on it, then it's going to be on this one. Oh boy. Oh, it's like starting to shred a little bit. I may have gone in too deep. I don't think a nice little plug is going to pull out of this thing. Mm. Oh gosh. Yeah, I think I did. I think I overdid it. <laughs> that's not the first time you've said that sentence. No, that's pretty much like my life. <laughs> I'll put that on my headstone. I think I, think I overdid it. <laughs> uh, either that or I'll clean my pens when I'm dead. One of those will be on your epitaph. Yeah, I'll say now I'll clean my pens. That'll be yeah. Now I'll clean my pens. Unfinished business. Uh, yeah, right, Brian, so we are uh, we're we're an hour and a half. Okay. Um. So yeah, I, I I put it in too deep on the. Well, okay. So knowing what I know about operating glue, which is probably a more than your average person, but not as much as a crafting professional. Um, I can say this is something that would take some determination. It was a pretty messy process to do it in the first place because um, it's hot glue. And it really doesn't make sense to do for like one cartridge. You would have to kind of set it up and do it in a more production setting. And by then you probably would get the technique down and sort of figure it out. So I'm going to, if we're going to go with a Mistbusters rating, I would call this one plausible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that this is not something that I will be quick to recommend to everyone as a casual user. I will say if you are bound and determined this is, believe it or not, the most effective ne- method that I'm aware of in order to do this, but it's definitely going to take some determination to make it happen. So there you go. I'm, 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 I bet there's some tiny cheap thing at a hardware store that you could shove in there, like at least with the standard international, like some completely unrelated object, some sort of probably something you could buy in bulk you could get like a 50 pack of little plastic who's a what's it's that would fit in there you know you just gotta somebody's gotta know something that could just randomly get shoved in there i don't know i I still have faith i still have faith that there's a better way maybe it's it's just a hole that needs to be plugged it's maybe like 20 20 minutes ago somebody probably posted in the comments oh you guys just need the flugen flogen Ooh. And then, you know, so if you all have any ideas about what could fit into any of these cartridges to help plug them up reliably, we're all ears. And maybe if it's something you have to buy in like a bulk of a thousand and it makes sense to break them up and sell them, that's something that we as a retailer can definitely do. That's right. So if there is demand for it and a product that is better than this mess of hot (laughs) glue, um, I would be open to that. So anyway, but that's what I got. I'd never done the hot glue thing. Now I've done it, and I don't think I'm ever going to do it again because this is a pain in the butt. So that's what I got. That's the week. Well, we're learning. We learn what not to do. We are indeed. All right. Now we're going to do a very quick spotlight on the Ritma. All right, Drew. I spent way more time doing the hot glue thing. I severely (laughs) underestimated how much difficulty I would have getting that glue off. (laughs) So... Let's uh, scurry right along on our, our pen spotlight here. Um, the pen that we're talking about today is the Monteverde Ritma, 
which um, does make a pretty cool sound on its it pen. Does. I think this it is does. probably the most redeeming quality of this pen. Is the um, it's got a very satisfying click with a magnetic cap, and then that pop. I could see that being kind of annoying in certain settings. Like if you're in a meeting and everybody's like sitting down, it's very serious and very quiet. And you're just like popping away over there. People will be like, what is that? But I guess you can open it slower and it doesn't pop. So that's a solvable problem. Yeah. Um, it's not the pen for everybody. Also you know, posts the same way too. That's true. It does get that click. It doesn't pop. No. It doesn't pop because it's, you know, I guess it's like the grip section or something. I don't know. Something about it. I don't know why it doesn't pop on the back, but it doesn't look that different. But anyway, um, yes, magnetic pen. It's all metal. Um, you know, it's like a, a matte aluminum, I guess, or I don't know if it's aluminum. Maybe maybe it's brass. It doesn't really matter. But it's a metal pen, pretty heavily weighted, very, very much of a stick, right? Like it's pretty much the same diameter all the way through. Um, got a number six Yovo nib on here, which Monteverde switched to before coming out with this pen, right? This has always had a Yovo nib on it. Yeah. Um, but it's a very inexpensive pen. What? $36. I want to say it's something like that. It's, it's, it's currently at the time of this recording, the most affordable method to get a number six Yovo nib. There you go. So in that respect is very good. Um, generally I think the pen has been fairly popular, yeah, um, and, and I will say that I, I slept on this pen. I, I was not a proponent of this pen. I thought that the pop was going to create issues with ink spritz. You know how I feel about ink spritz. Not a fan. Mm. But it ultimately didn't. Um, and I've heard a lot of good things about the grip diameter, Brian. A lot of folks say that the wider yeah. grip is very comfortable on their hands. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of step between the barrel and the grip. So if you didn't want it's to hold on to the very tip, you can kind of, you know, not choke up. What's the opposite of choking up? Choke choking back. Down. Choke down. So choking down, uh, you can actually hold it a little bit farther away. And it doesn't really feel much different because the grip section is just a slightly more slim version of the barrel. I think choking up would be going towards the tip. Yeah, right? I was like, trying to say the opposite of that. Yeah, choke down. I think that's Choke down? I think so. Like when you have a baseball bat, you choke up or down. I guess. I've, only, I've always, I've always ever heard. Why did I go to sports? Why did I go to sports as an analogy? Yeah, I don't know. But um, it is, it is a, it's a fun pen, and I find that these pens do benefit from heat setting. I'll say that. Um, okay, fair enough. So, uh, yeah. Apart from that, I, I think that the color variety is good. I like the fact that it is mm. a uh, pretty affordable Yovo nib. I mean. It is. You it's, think very, you, it's very fingerprinty. I will say yes, that. Yes, especially the metal parts like, are very fingerprinty. Yeah, I got the. This is the. I got the red one with the uh, gunmetal trim. Mm-hmm. It's just fingerprint bonanza. Like so, yeah. if you if you're really annoyed by that, and and maybe it's, I don't know if it's just the black trim or the gunmetal trim on here, but it um, kind of has like a little like iridescent kind of look to it. Like kind of oily. Yeah. I mean, my hands are super super oily, so I'm. I've always seen, I've, I've seen always that on the, these pens, though. It's yeah, not yeah, but I'm I'm always the more extreme end of pens that are oilier that like metal pens that'll feel slick in your hand. Mm-hmm. I'm more prone to that than most people I know. Um, so yeah, you get a little bit of that, but you know, even me, you know, because I don't know, like it's a little bit slick, but it's a you know, I have trouble with tapered metal grips. Like it is not tapered. Grips. 
it's not tapered, so I don't feel like I'm losing control. Plus, my thumb naturally rests on the the, the matte part of the pen, like the mm -hmm. barrel. So, you know, when I write with it, I don't feel like it's like I'm losing control. Um, I will say when I, it's a bit much when it's posted. Yeah. It, it backweights the pen. A lot of the weight of the cap is up here in the top. And I feel that when I'm using it. So even though it can cap really easily, I might be inclined to do that if I'm writing something quick, but I don't think that I would hold this very comfortably posted but it's long enough and i got a pretty big hand it's long enough to be very comfortable unposted it feels yeah. much it feels much more balanced in my hand that way. i think so too I'll, I'll say that the stock converter that comes with that is fine but it doesn't attach to the grip section as securely as a yeah. standard international converter it's so a, it's a more economy um, grade yeah yeah a, you can you can definitely upgrade to a standard international converter on this pen and have a much better filling experience if you yeah. don't you just need to be really careful when you twist it because if you twist the piston all the way back and then twist more, it kind of pops out if you over twist it. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can just twist gently, but, or you can buy yeah. a standard international converter and have a, and I mean, just not worry about it. It's a pretty inexpensive pen. So the fact yeah. that it comes with a converter at all is pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but overall it feels like a very durable pen, very consistently made. Um, you know, personally, I, I think it's not this, the style of pen that's necessarily going to be for everybody, but if you are inclined towards it i don't think you'll regret getting one of these because it's a pretty decent pen especially for its price range yeah and if you are prone to arthritis or hand pain this is not a bad one for you yeah that's true that's true now, that's now it is heavier so generally with that sort of thing you want to go light yeah. and wide uh, but, but it's, it, it's at least wide yeah but with, uncapped though it's not too bad yeah no, it's not too bad it's not too bad it feels very balanced so i know it's worth a look you can check them out we got them in several different colors um and you can check out the ritma so all right, Drew, now to the nonsensical portion of what's happening. All right. Well, guess what I did last Thursday, Brian? What did you do last Thursday, Drew? I saw my dad and all of my brothers together for the first time in like four years. Wow, that's exciting. It has been a long time. Um, I believe all of us got together at like Texas Day Brazil or something like that, like years and years ago. You know what? It was Ooh. right around the time. It was right before the Iron Maiden concert. Um, that was because 2019, our, our, I think. Yeah. Because I remember my ago. dad My dad was like, uh, well, maybe not four years then. But anyway, that, however long that was. Three uh, years, cause, yeah. Because I remember my dad was like, hey, we're all going to go to Iron Maiden. And I said, I am already going. Because, <laughs> <So, laughs> nice. uh, yeah, I went with you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a long time. And uh, the COVID thing, uh, I just wasn't, I normally see my dad once a year at Christmas. So it's not mm. very often anyway. But uh, Top Gun Maverick came out. And I've it, uh, you know, just a week or two weeks before Father's Day. So I said, you know what, guys, let's see this with dad. And uh, he was ready and willing to you. go. To, Look at you yeah. reaching out. Look at me. It brought everybody together. Hey. Um, and, uh, Everybody was like, "Oh, okay, Top Gun." So it that's was a, a pretty, very that's a pretty solid like anchor for a, a Father's really Day is. get a lot together. Of, a lot of people, a lot of people have been calling <laughs> the Top Gun Maverick dad core uh, because it's just such a <laughs> such a dad movie, and it really wow. was. When I when okay. I was a kid, my dad was a you know an amateur pilot. Um, he you know had his license. Oh, took, I didn't took know us, that. Took us up a couple times. Yeah. Uh, he had pictures of jets all in his office. Just crazy about Top Gun. We had the VHS that had the Pepsi commercial on before it. Um, mm. 
and uh, we watched it a ton. He would always skip the adult scene. We wouldn't watch that, obviously, but uh, it was something. It was it was a it was a staple. So getting everybody together to see that was really cool, and we all loved it. It was such a great movie. It was so it was um, reverent to the original, but also had some new, really really good parts too. Hardly any noticeable CG. I'll say no noticeable CG, but I know yeah, that they did a there. ton of practical effects for that. Yeah, right? it was really an experience, and it was a great thing to see in the theater. I know that you know theater going hasn't been a super popular thing, mm. you know, you know during COVID, but this one was absolutely worth it. And just the volume, the intensity, the whole experience was absolutely made for theater. So I'm really glad we did that. And afterwards, cool. we went to get burgers together and. Everybody had a great time. It was a really awesome experience. Wow. So, um, I have I have three brothers and then uh, my dad. So all 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 five of us uh, were there, and it was it was a really awesome awesome thing. So, so wait, uh, when is Father's Day? Did that happen already? It's this coming Sunday. Oh, okay. the the nineteenth. I, sh- I should probably be aware of that for my dad's sake. <laughs> I literally didn't even realize. Like I know it's June, but like June is just. June is happening a lot faster than I think it's the 19th, whatever the, whatever this coming Sunday is, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, all right, well, note to everybody, if you're listening or watching this, Father's Day is this weekend, so <laughs> get get on it. So there was that, and then we had a half day off at Goulet for mental health, and since I had just seen a movie, I didn't take my normal half day to go see a movie. Um, right. I instead went um, hunting for used Xbox 360 games. I went to two... Uh, mm-hmm. Local game shops downtown, um, Dawnstar Video Games and the Tech Exchange picked up a couple of those. And then I went to Second and Charles, which is a uh, chain, but still has some good stuff. So I just kind of went like old game hunting. You can get Xbox 360 games for, you know, seven bucks or less these days. So those See, have not do. yet exploded in collectability yet. So you yeah, can they're still, still in the, they're still in that in that valley where they're just old. It's not cool to be yeah. an Xbox 360 yet. You know, it's sort of like the GameCube. It's like oh, GameCube's yeah. expensive now. Oh, really? Is that one yeah. taken on? Oh, yeah, oh. GameCube. GameCube already took off. Okay, well, too late mm-hmm. then. All right, yeah, All too right. late for Nintendo. Anything is always super sought after. That's true. Yeah, because they don't. I guess they don't have as many. Well, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know yeah, what Nintendo, I'm talking about. Nintendo's weird. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was that was what I did on my afternoon. That was really nice. You know, just kind of cool relax and i got to go to stores that normally i would be <coughs> worried that my wife would just be like sitting there twiddling her thumbs waiting for me to be done so oh for sure uh, that's that's she's, always nice she doesn't want to set foot in that store yeah i mean she's never unpleasant about it but i like in the back of your head you, you know like i don't want to stand here too long because you know she's not yeah like I, I don't i don't go pick up like w- my welding shielding gas on an errand run where rachel's in the car right I'm just like, like i need to plan that like on my own trip like, yeah. while I'm going to the dump and then I'll go and get my, you know, welding supplies so that Rachel's not involved in any of that. So yeah. I feel you. I feel you. We, we did have a nice moment, though. Uh, so this was Saturday or Sunday. I don't recall. But um, we had some errands to run. I needed to take because uh, remember, <laughs> I had bought a hose from Lowe's. Uh, but I ended up just needing the gaskets. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the Lowe's uh, hose goes. The Lowe's hose. So the Lowe's hose went back to Lowe's. <laughs> Uh, okay. But before that, um, one of our neighbors, who is the mother of a friend of my son's from school, asked if Archer, my kid, basically, yeah, he he goes sure. to school with her son. Um, gotcha. Okay. And she, she's also a neighbor. So, so she, she asked yeah, it's like, if... It's not, it's not really your friend. It's like a friend by association right, to your right, kid. Right. Okay, I got you. I got you. So uh, I have she a lot asked, of those. 
if um, Archer wanted to go to the trampoline park and Ooh. with 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 his friend and we we're like yeah we are gonna run out but she's she like no i can take him that's fine so we we're like okay she's a teacher so she has more experience in you know keeping kids alive than we do so oh there you go um my, you know that's totally fine <laughs> so he went to the trampoline park we ran some errands and then we find, found ourselves at a little you know chinese restaurant um and uh for lunch and i just had a moment there because this Chinese restaurant, it's just it, menu wise, it's nothing fancy. It's got the, you know, your sesame chicken, your orange chicken, your general sows, whatever. Your Americanized but, Chinese food, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing, it's nothing, you know, particularly special or amazing. But this place, Brian, this is at the, um, this is off broad um, near where the old TJ Maxx used to be. Um, it's called okay. Yenching. And this place has been unchanged since I was a child. Oh, 100%. You love it. You One. love that authentic retro, like it, style. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, it's got these these brass sconces along the walls. Mm. It's got this like it, it, it. No joke, nothing has changed. I've been going there since wow. I was eight, since I can remember. It's got this little fountain in the middle that like squirts up this maybe four inch little plippity plop plop plop. <laughs> like it's the saddest tiny this little fountain, but it's the same exact thing that I've wow. That I, so I go in there and it's just this, there's something really special about being able to go and just kind of relax in a place that's a bit of a time warp that has been unchanged since your childhood. And there's nothing like, you know, my, my parents don't, you know, I guess my dad still lives in the same house that he moved into, but that's been redecorated so many times. It doesn't really feel nostalgic, but this place, 100% unchanged. Wow. So it, it is quite magical. And the, he, the guy that runs it, he still has all of his servers wear bow ties and white long sleeve shirts. He always has flesh, fresh flowers at every little red carnations at every table. He takes a lot of pride in that yeah. restaurant. And I will be crushed if it ever goes away. I'll tell you that. It, it will be mm. a sad, sad day. And um, anyway, I just, I just loved it so much. Just a quiet lunch with my wife at a place that not for the food's sake, but for the environment's sake, puts me mm. in a very, very just happy, happy, special place mood, you know? So yeah. uh, I, I, I might put it on the pen because I'm not sure, but I just sat and recorded my view to the fountain for 30 seconds because I'm like, <laughs> I just I just want 30 seconds. I want to remember this. <laughs> of this environment. Well, I know I'm going to be so sad when it closes down. Oh, So yeah. I'm like, I want, I want 30 seconds of Yen Chang. So I captured it. And you could just like put it on a 10 hour loop and yes. put it up on YouTube and yes. have that as your like spa, <laughs> yes. spa background. Oh man. Wow. I love it so much. But uh, cool. yeah, that, that was, I think the highlight of my weekend. Wow. That's yeah. pretty eventful. I love yeah. how you described that. You just found yourself like you just, you were drawn well, to the restaurant. Well, here's the thing. I said, we did the standard husband wife thing where she's like, what do you oh, want to yeah. eat? And I named something. She's like, no. And then she named something. I said, no. And then we did that like three times. And then I'm like, fine, we can go there. I don't want to, but whatever. I don't. I I care less than you do. So we started driving, and then she's like, "How about Yen Ching?" Yes. So nice. So that's, you settled so on that, so that's nice. how we found ourselves there. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. My family, not. I mean, Rachel's pretty flexible, but my extent, my extended family, especially my parents, it's the like everybody's too flexible. This is like you know, hey, we're gonna get together. Where do you guys want to eat? Oh, I'm flexible. You're like yeah. Stop okay. being flexible. Here's like here's like four different restaurants. Yeah, any of those could work. And you're just so like I just have learned to be the one that's just like, how about whatever? 
Red Robin yeah. or something. Yeah, throw something you know? out. Yeah, throw something out. Yeah, basically, yeah. We, we, we try to have a rule. If you say no to something, then it's on you to recommend the next thing. Ooh. Didn't you do something? I feel like you did that with the customer care team where you guys had a good system. Oh, yeah, the veto method. Yeah, explain this because this is an ingenious method for when you're trying to pick a restaurant with a group or really any group thing where you got to narrow something down. So explain uh, yeah. this because I'd never heard of this before you so, did. So I, you know, with with the team lunches, you know, we have a we have a appreciation budget here at the Goulet Pen Company where the managers have a budget to appreciate their team in whatever manner they see fit, and a lot of the times that manifests itself as food. So much uh, of the time, it's <laughs> manifesting so food. So when I was a manager, I would pick, you know, if I had a team of five, I would pick six local restaurants that were within budget, and everybody would have a chance to veto one of the restaurants on the list. Now, keep in mind, the list is one more than the people you have vetoing. So at the end, you are left with one restaurant that nobody said was their least favorite. So it's nobody's, it might not be anybody's first favorite, but it's nobody's most hated restaurant. So everybody would say, not this place, not this place, not this place. And you're left with one that, is not loathed by anyone. So that's yeah. how that works. That's a pretty that's a pretty everybody solid... everybody gets one veto. That's a that's one of the best ways I've ever heard it done. We've been like yeah, that. we use that for years. And it's good if you like start with a list. If somebody's got like dietary restrictions or something like that, like go ahead and eliminate those because you know you don't want one person to Or eliminate have that to... person. Yeah. Either way, you know, <laughs> one and the same, right? <laughs> or both just to be safe. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, nice. Very cool, Drew. Glad you had such a, a zen weekend. That's really cool. I'll tell you, I, I, when I was there, I was just telling Shane, I'm like, this is magical. This is a magical place. Yenching is magical. And that's I wouldn't awesome. shut up about it. Like, look at these look at these sconces. Like, what do you think that is? <laughs> 78? That looks like a 70, a nice... A 78 sconce. <laughs> it just, it, it, it's... You're not, I, like, I not like talking about, like, wine or anything like that. You're, like, talking about furniture and fixtures i tell <laughs> you it's, look, at it's mag- look at this it's paneling. magical it exists in just uh, its own zen mm. plane it's like the secret like, garden yes you're like ooh, that paneling is that is that pine is that walnut stained pine that looks really oh really nothing good. but the finest pine the finest pine plywood stained <laughs> walnut um cool uh i didn't have as eventful as a time as you did um but uh, things are a little crazy right now because our kids are in their last week of school. Yes. Joseph, yesterday, went... So they're having, like, final exams and stuff like that. And um, so they're already having early release days. But Joseph, they block scheduling. So he's only having, like, two different classes a day. Well, like, for certain classes, he's opted out either because he, like, whatever, finished his projects or had his SOL test and passed and stuff like that. So, like, some some of his classes, he's not having to go. So it's already a weird schedule with a shortened week. And there's, like, certain classes where he's not having to go or he's going in late or whatever. So our between him and his sister, who goes to a different school, she's in elementary school, our schedule this week is just like a nuclear bomb exploded and it's all over the place. But Because you guys don't do any sort of, like, after-school daycare or anything like that. No, we don't. Yeah, we don't. you go and pick so, them up right after they're done. So that that is a tall order. Right. And so um, not opposed to that. I would love that. But we just live rurally and there's not a great option for us. Anyway, the um, just as an example of like what this last week of school is like, they're like not doing 
actual work because all their tests and stuff are done. Joseph went in to school yesterday at 11. That's when his school day started. He went in, had PE, physical education, which was basically like a choose your own event. And they had a Nintendo Switch there and he played Super Smash Brothers. I was like, he would have just done that at home. He had lunch and then he came home. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was like, why Why did Why did we bring you to school today? Oh my God. I mean, it's fine. He still gets socialization. And stuff well, he, like also likes, he also likes, you know, smoking other kids and Smash Brothers, I'm sure. He does, yeah. He does. Um, but uh, he's, I mean, he's loving it, of course. I mean, I remember, you know, like exam week in like middle school is great because you're not like actually sweating your exams. In high school, it'd be different, but anyway. So that's happening. We're finishing up the school thing. The kids are excited. Um, Ellie had a field day at her school. So doing like, you know, tug of war and different like running events and stuff like that. They didn't do like a lot of elaborate ones like balloon pop and the egg and spoon and stuff like that. They, yeah. did, some, they did some various things. So the, the games are a little different than I remember as a kid, but um, you know. It was it was still a lot of fun, and it just it happened to work out in our schedule. It was like in the middle of a day on like, like a Thursday or something, and just happened to work out where Rachel and I were both able to go, and that was really cool. I think Ellie really enjoyed that, and uh, she is, whew, man, she is competitive. My goodness, that girl is a terrifying competitor. I tell you, like she was really great. She was like the second. She, she was like the second fastest kid in her thing, and she like doesn't run a lot. She was just really determined to run so anyway that was kind of that was kind of fun was, was oh man that was cool and then uh the only other thing that i did is i uh I, I built something i welded something um i already showed you this this morning but i'm super proud of it so um you know for for years i've wanted to build something it's called an infinity cube um, so I've seen it with like uh, a, a design with end tables and, and things like that. Um, but I built a basically a miniature version of it because I just wanted to practice my welding and I wanted to see if I could like get the math right doing this thing. And I love, I love geometric patterns in things like furniture and stuff like that. I just think it's really cool. So I built this thing called an, an infinity cube. Um, so this is all welded. It's just, um, you know, low carbon steel. Uh, there was like five eighth inch, uh, you know, squared tubing. I cut it all down, welded it all, gave it a brushed finished. Um, this is all TIG welded and I'm, you know, it's not, I didn't spend like trying time, time, trying time to make it perfect or whatever. I just wanted to see if like the math would work out, but I'm actually really pleased with how it turned out. I think that looks so, amazing, Brian. Are all cool? of those, are all the segments the same exact length? Um, there's two different lengths. So there's 12, there's 12 tubes that are this longer length, but then, you know, this one here is Oh, shorter. okay. I can see that now. So there's, there's, um, six shorter lengths and 12 longer lengths. Um, and you cut, you know, 45 degree miters on every piece, but then three of them, you have to turn the miter 90 degrees, one direction, three mm-hmm. of them you have to turn it 90 degrees. The I other can direction. see that. I can see that on the bottom piece, uh, right near where your thumb is there. Yeah. Yeah. The one, yeah. The one, the one like, right next to that. Like here, when it makes a turn on the face, like I have to cut a miter there and then I have right. to cut a miter there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's people that have done this. And so there's like some blogs and a couple of YouTube videos and stuff that people have made it. I've never seen a miniature version of one like this made. And it's obviously, it's like, it's not a table. It's, it's not really practical. It's more of an art piece at this point. But the whole idea behind it is that it's all one continuous connected piece. So it's just an infinite run of, you know, tubing or you can make it out of wood. You can make it out of different things. 
Um, but what I've seen people do is make like larger end tables, make them like 20 inches square and then do like a glass top or something. Mm-hmm. And then you can like put stuff on it. So I was kind of conceiving of doing that, but I didn't want to try and fail miserably at doing like an end table size thing. So I just made a little miniature version of it. And I was like, this is pretty darn cool. I think that's so, awesome, man. Um, had a lot of fun. It yeah. doesn't ma- like, so all the, all the sides are the same. So if it was an end table, mm-hmm. it wouldn't matter which side it, yeah, I mean, literally, on. it's like every single one yeah. is exactly the same. I mean, uh, like some of it's more square than others, and you know, I'm sure you would put, I'm sure you would put some sort of like you know rubber bumpers or something on the bottom if you did. Yeah, that the yeah. Table. So, yeah. so what's the verdict? Do you think you're going to scale up? Go, uh, go full scale? Since I don't know. You know, since was, we've referred to MythBusters a few times already, I could definitely see you doing something, or maybe it's like you know, I'll see if Rachel's into it because my problem is I'm like I I conceive of stuff like this, and she's like, where do you dream up this stuff? And I was like, oh, I'm just look see what other people have done it. And I'm like, that seems cool. I want to do that. But the problem is like every single like end table and chair and like every single piece of furniture in our house is now looking just wildly different from each other. And so, yeah. you know, we have this very eclectic because I, I don't want to, like she asked me to build another end table. It's like the wooden one that I have. I don't know if I've ever really shown it here. I built an end table. I can't like bring it over. It's not practical. Maybe I'll take a picture of it and I'll share it. But I, I built an end table that was something that I saw. It's out of solid walnut, but um, it's 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 got a backing on the two sides, and then it's like open on the other two sides. So it's it's like th- three layers basically, but it's open on two of the sides instead of you know traditionally you'd have like it open on the front and back or the sides or whatever, or just like th- on three sides you'd have the the wood and then you just have it open on one side. So it's, that's kind of cool. It looks like a kind of a weird, like floating kind of a thing. But then when you look at it from the back, you know, it looks like a, like a box and I mitered it too. So that like the wood looks very continuous. Anyway, I'll post some pictures of it. I, I like you... sort of saw designs of it and then I modified it myself and, and made it. And I had a lot of fun doing that, but Rachel asked for another one to match it. And I was like, Ugh. cause like now I know how much of a pain it was to make it that way. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not doing anything new. I'm just trying to replicate what I already did. It's like, can I even replicate it? I don't even know if I can, you know? So Uh, it's like, she wants me to make one of those and I'm like dragging my feet on it. So I really should do that before it, but I could see making something like this or maybe like extend it, make it into more of like a longer coffee table. I could like mm -hmm. have it at the office or something, you know? I I think that uh, one just like that with a glass top would actually be really great as a, uh, an outdoor, like a poolside, um, end table or something oh, like that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like patio, like, like a patio table or a pool table or something. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, stainless steel, it'd be fine out there. That would be cool. Or aluminum would be good, too. Mm-hmm. Or you could paint it. You know, like I can always paint this. This is just brushed steel, and I just put, put a little bit well, of Well, I think the steel it. looks cool. It does look cool, doesn't it? But looks, you, could do brush, you could do brushed aluminum, too, and that would look pretty rad. Mm-hmm. Or you could paint it. You could paint it to look like brushed steel. You know, you could do a protective layer on it and do that outside. But yeah, so anyway, I don't know what I'm going to do with this now. It's just an art piece, but yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. So anyway. I think it looks amazing. That's why I had fun. It took me probably, I don't know, seven or eight hours total to make that. But again, I also don't really know what I'm doing. So um, I'm sure other people can do it faster. But it was a lot of fun. All right. And that's it for the personal stuff. Man, we are running long today, aren't we? Woo. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, got a, I have like more company updates than we've like ever had before. Okay. I'll try and do them quickly. All right, company updates. All right, you are the tried and true if you're sticking this far in the company updates in the Pencast to listen to this. Um, quick Noodlers update. I know y'all have been uh, you know, kind of curious about that. We have 
you know, unpaused the brand. We've got some availability of some of the um, Noodler's products now, um, kind of easing back in. So they have rebranded a number of ink and pen, ink names and labels, and then some pen names. Um, we had paused. We had taken stuff out of stock. We still had, um, you know, some of the things that were not undergoing any kind of a changes, and we've made those available again. Uh, and we've removed all the you know, products that are no longer being made, and the stuff has been changed. Um, but that needs to be remanufactured and redistributed and stuff like that. So it's going to be a little while. I don't know exactly how long before we get restocked on some of that stuff. But that stuff is going to start to trickle in over a little bit of time. Um, the ink formulations and properties and stuff, all that was unchanged. It was all just really just branding and the, and the artwork and stuff. Um, so once the new stuff comes in, we've changed names. We've changed you know, photography that we've been provided, but we're going to have to redo all our own swabs, photography, we've got to change all the product pages and everything. It's going to be a little bit of work um, to do that, but uh, we're going to do that over time. Uh, it's going to be, I guess, like a summer project into the fall, depending on when this stuff comes into us. Um, and then we're going to be redoing Liberty's Elysium as well, because we've been thinking about that label. We haven't finalized it yet, so we're still taking our time on that. Um, and we confirm that no old stock is being manufactured or shipped anymore. Some retailers might have some of it out there, but I don't think there was very much of it to begin with because um, Noodler's ends up being fairly just in time because it's basically just make Nathan making this stuff. And now he's got to redesign, remake all this other, this new stuff. So um, yeah, so it's been on pause for over a month now. Um, you know, we just appreciate your patience. We have good confidence that the, there's good changes moving forward. And that's why we felt comfortable with the unpausing. So just wanted to keep you all up to date on that in case you happen to see some of that available again. Um, we're not making like a big to do about it, especially because it's really going to be kind of a, a phased thing. But we feel very confident about the good changes moving forward um, enough to where we feel um, able to unpause. So if you got any questions about that, you know, ask our team, let us know, shoot us an email because we can get more context, more timely, you know, than we can in the pencast here. But that's fine, too. Um, and then I mentioned last week that we have some website updates, um, which I was, you know, like, here's hoping we have the updates and here's hoping it goes well, because who knows? Um, we did the updates and they went really successfully. We had very few bugs. So I'm glad we took the time that we did to actually do the launch. Um, again, it's not a whole ton of like front facing stuff that you all might notice, um, but things should be a lot smoother for us on the back end. There's a lot less duplicated work that we're having to do for product tagging and various filters and search and stuff like that. So really it's the filtering and the search functionality that should operate a lot smoother. Um, and we have some, um, you know, nicer, like customizable features uh, on, on your end that you'll see when you're browsing. Um, so for one, the popularity, like the most popular filter, um, you know, with 5,000 or so SKUs, it gets complicated. <laughs> you know, in way in the past, we used to have to do it manually. The What we moved from had somewhat of an algorithm, but it was buggy and it sometimes produced some weird things. Um, so this new one is operating a lot better. So it should show you truly what are the more popular products. Um, I mentioned that our product comparison feature may not be available for a couple of weeks, but actually like, you know, the day after we recorded the pencasts, they were like, oh, actually we fixed the bug and we're going to be able to launch with the product comparison. So there'll be no downtime. So hopefully you saw no skip in that at all. So we have that feature still. Um, we never had to uh, take it down. And then uh, some of the more customized options, like we have, um, you know, a, a slider now for things like grip diameter. We have a stock status filter, so you can filter out products that are in stock versus out of stock, which is super helpful. 
Um, we're moving to like using a lot of sliders for filters instead of ranges, like pr instead of having a price range of like 10 to $20 or whatever, we have more of a graduating slider that will kind of group things together there. And just, just overall grouping things together more instead of just having like an endless scrolling list of things in the filter. Um, so gotten really good feedback so far. Our team is really enjoying it as well. Just as they're, you know, like customer service team there on our website a lot, as you can imagine. So very excited about that. And it went pretty smoothly. So we're just very excited. Um, and then we are going to be closed on Monday, this coming Monday for Juneteenth, which is June 19th. Um, and that is celebrating the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. So um, we've been doing that for, this will be the third year now that we've been doing it. So um, very cool to be able to do that. You can learn more about all that on Juneteenth.com if you're not already familiar with it, or if you just want to learn more. And we, as Drew mentioned earlier, we're going to be taking off next week, but we are still going to be publishing a pencast, mostly. So, <laughs> um, you know, ever since uh, going back remote here, we're still in high COVID transmissibility status, which is why I'm still recording from home. Um, and, you know, Drew's lights are dying there and we're just having, we're having some issues <laughs> high high transmissibility where i'm at not where brian's at so yes i'm we're fine. hoping we're hoping any any day now well no actually ours went back up to high oh it so, did dang it yeah so like i live in a different county than our office <sighs> and like it went back down to medium but then it went back up to high and this is like okay so who knows but we know we know I would say we know how to do this thing, but clearly we have issues, but still. Um, so we recorded, we thought in advance and we were like, even though we're going to be off, we're going to record a pencast in advance, an all Q&A pencast. We did it, we recorded it. Just a total freak accident when I went to import my card into my computer. It was just like, nope, not having it. And I was like, what are you talking about, computer? And I went to put the card back in the camera and it was like, nope, does not compute. It literally just fritzed out on me. Um, you know, and then I re I reformatted the card and it works fine now. It just was a total fluke thing. Everything looked like it recorded just fine. Thankfully, I recorded the audio on a separate device because of the audio issues I had on the previous pencast. So I've been recording two audios now, which I'm still doing just because I'm paranoid about it. So had I not done that, we would have had lost the whole thing. So rather than re-recording the whole extra pencast, which we just frankly didn't have time to do, that we could have if we had just done a shorter pencast today. Anyway, <laughs> um, what what ended up happening is we just said, fine, we'll just do it. We won't have my video, but I'll have audio and we'll have Drew's video and that's just going to have to be good enough. So <laughs> I'm sorry in advance, but just know that it's better than nothing. And uh, yeah, we're sorry, but we're trying to get it together. It truly was just a freak accident of the the formatting of the card just fritzed out when I went to import it. I've never had that happen in that specific scenario, but it does happen. So that's, yeah, that's maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll find some funny screenshots or something to put over on his side. We'll I feel see. like we could. And yeah. By, by, by the way, I know this thing right here flickers. Um, it's just the way LEDs interact with the camera. So there, I think it, is, a, it, I think there's a setting on the camera that we can do. Yeah. We, we might be able that. to fit that. Fix we'll that, but that. Yeah. We got to keep you on your toes here. We can't keep you too. Yeah. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be messing around with that. We have too many AV issues right now. So there you go. Just, just don't, 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 don't look at it if you don't want to. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, and I think that's it. We can go ahead and wrap this thing up, Drew. What do you think? 
Uh, let's go ahead and do that. You know, I think that we've <laughs> it's long let, enough. Let, let's end let's end things early. Sounds good. <laughs> end it early. My goodness. All right, here we go. Let's wrap it up. Well, we like want to thank everybody for watching this extended two hour plus pencasts. Um, please leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Give us some pen tips because, well, I guess we found one today. I, hopefully we don't go 20 minutes or so on every single tip. We're not going to do that. Um, but anyway, leave us some feedback. Check out GoulaPens.com for all your fountain pen ink and paper needs. And subscribe to YouTube and Instagram and all that. And like and notify and share and all the different levels of engagement. Um, you can shoot us an email at pencast at GoulaPens.com if you want to hit us up directly with pencast-related things. And, Drew, are you ready for my random fact? Which is this also, about ketchup? Is, this is the one about ketchup. I okay, was like, Drew, yeah. Bring I, it I, on. Like, I like messaged Drew. I'm like, Drew, I'm really sorry. I went on a rabbit hole about the history of ketchup for the pencast today. And oh, he was like, man. He was like, sure. That sounds like Brian. And I have, I have been eagerly anticipating <clears throat> this moment ever since. Okay. I don't, I don't know why I thought about ketchup. I think I just looked up random trivia on Google and I found this whole list of things and it had some random fact about ketchup. And I was like, really? That's interesting. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, there's a whole story to this. Okay, well, tomato ketchup is the US's most popular condiment with a presence in 97% of US households. That's some pretty heavy adoption of a condiment, right? Wow, that so, must be that must be slightly higher than fountain pens. Slightly. Um, <laughs> however, however, it has a history much, much older than even the U.S. itself. So texts dating back to China around 300 B.C. mention ketchup, or a variation of ketchup that I won't try to pronounce because I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, which at the time was made from fish entrails, meat byproducts, and soybeans. And it was used as a flavoring, especially during long ocean journeys, because it wouldn't spoil. It was popularized in the 1700s as a, quote, salty flavor bomb, as this was all from uh, the History Channel that I discovered this. Um, There were many variations of it, including things like oysters, mussels, mushrooms, walnuts, lemons, celery, and even fruits like plum and peaches. Um, However, the modern tomato ketchup that we are familiar with today, um, we can thank James Mees of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who created it with the tomato-based version that we're familiar with in 1812. And then Heinz was the company that made the most popular current version, which was formulated in 1876. And they now sell over 650 million bottles of ketchup every year. Just Heinz. Isn't that crazy? It's a lot of freaking ketchup. How, 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 how is the fish entrails thing still considered ketchup as well as the tomato thing? What do they have in common that still calls them ketchup? I think it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. But I mean, <laughs> I think going all the way back to like the 300 BC thing, it was that it was called like ketchup and it was used as a condiment. on It was a called of, ketchup back then? It was like a variation of it. Yeah. Like the name ketchup goes back. Oh like wow! Okay, that so it's far. just the name, so like, more or less, that goes back. Yeah, it was like the condiment. They were all. Okay. It, it wasn't like one defined thing, but it was like this mashup. It was essentially like the the condiment that people would use to flavor okay. their food. So like the so most. So was it the, the first condiment, condiment ever? Like the first like me, like recipe condiment? 
now we're going deeper oh, down the rabbit okay, no, hole we're, here, we're so we're, I don't know. Do I don't know, but okay, well, that I, is I learned more about... I, did, I didn't think that we would both say the words uh, fish entrails and uh, bulbous globule um, today in this pencast, <laughs> but we have. So um, this sounds like a this is like that. an o, that's like an OG pencast title right there. Fish entrails and bulbous bulbous globules globules yeah, and then, that's, click, and then, that's clickbait if I've ever heard. and then YouTube would be like we're not showing this to anybody because yeah, it sounds like, disgusting oh, let me get some bulbous globules <laughs> click <laughs> well there you go anyway that's your uh, that's your turkey hammock moment for the day so thank you all very much for watching slash listening we will be seen by you next week but we will not see you we'll see you in two weeks when we're back with our regularly scheduled pencast but enjoy our hackneyed bulbous globule slap together version <laughs> that you'll have next week thanks for watching and right on <laughs> <laughs>